Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Voices and Visions podcast slash Directors Club bonus episode for the year in review 1987 with myself, Jim Laskowski, Colin Suter, and Eric Childress. And I hope you enjoyed part one just as much as we enjoyed recording it. Uh, part two continues onward from, I believe, midsummer to the very end. And uh, it's it's a it's we're very proud of these conversations and just excited to do them and go back in time. But presently, I wanted to make you aware of a couple of things involving the Now Playing Network over at NowPlayingNetwork.net. First off, uh, Patrick and I unexpectedly decided to start recording hour-long conversations and editing them into a podcast called Popcorn Supper, which you can find at PopcornSupper.com. Uh, it's just basically us talking movies for an hour and under, and uh, it captures some of the bonus episode spirit of Director's Club. We're sort of just doing it as a lark. It's not really um, format-driven. It's mostly just we're talking about whatever we feel like talking about and expressing whatever we feel like expressing, and it's uh, kind of random and haphazard, but maybe that's uh, part of its charm. Uh, hopefully it is for you. PopcornSupper.com. Please check that out, especially if you are slash were a fan of Director's Club. I think that uh, I'm very excited for the future of Director's Club based on the first two episodes that the new hosts have put out there. Al and Brad are doing fantastic thus far. I hope you're enjoying the new hosts. Uh, I encourage you to email them at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Provide any feedback, suggestions, ideas, comments, but uh, just let them know your thoughts on how they're doing, because I, I, I know that they're eager to hear from the many listeners and subscribers, so please do that ASAP. And one other fact that I'd like to bring to your attention is something very special, because both Brian Sauer and Elric Kane are two of my favorite writers slash podcasters slash film devotees that I've heard and read over the years. When Elric Kane of the Shockwaves Killer POV podcasting community over there uh, associated with, I believe it's Bloomhouse Productions, they are tops. The Shockwaves podcast is one of my favorites. It's in my top five right now. And it is, uh, and I subscribe to like 30 or 40 podcasts, so yes, that means a lot. And Elric is one of my favorites, favorite voices. So he contacted me and said, hey, uh, I got this podcast idea and I'd like to be a part of the network. Would you be interested in having us? And I gave him a huge enthusiastic thumbs up before really even hearing episode one because I knew it was going to be great. I've heard him on other podcasts. I've heard Brian Sauer on other podcasts. And Brian Sauer's blog, Rupert, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, is something I'm sure you're very, very familiar with. And if you're not, please check that out. It'll all be linked in this episode. So they have a podcast together that is now uh, a huge, huge part of the Now Playing Network just because they're two of the best. And, you know, I'm not, obviously, I'm not playing favorites and saying that. They're better than everybody, but I will say that they um, really have been in this business, if you want to call it, for a very, very long time and have put out exemplary work over the years, 
and they're just great personalities with great dynamics together. You've got to check out the chemistry that they have brought to the Pure Cinema Podcast, which uh, is part of the part of the Now Playing Network. But do subscribe to them on iTunes. Basically, I'm just saying at this point, if you're a fan of Directors Club, if you're a fan of uh, Voices and Visions, any of the podcasts on the Now Playing Network, um, I'm sure supporting characters and Tracks of the Damned will be returning as well, and they're also great. Fresh Perspective, sporadically putting out uh, new content, Movie Madness is evolving. Uh, Vinyl Emergency, despite Jim Henke's move to Milwaukee, is still going strong, and he's going to keep that going. So all these great shows are there. But be excited for Popcorn Supper, which you can subscribe to on iTunes, but definitely give your attention to Pure Cinema. The Pure Cinema podcast is excellent based on one episode, has been getting a lot of um, enthusiasm across social media, so I can't encourage you enough, and that's why I'm uh, not only whoring out my um, own podcasts, but essentially I... I'm singing the praises of one of the best podcasts uh, that I think will be um, something you'll look forward to just as much as you have with Directors Club or any of the other shows. So, again, Pure Cinema Podcast with Brian and Elric, a must here. Now, let's get back to this wacky, crazy, wild uh, two, four-hour epic that is... The year in review 1987 cinema wrap up with me, Colin, and Eric. Enjoy! So one of the things I mentioned earlier in the show was uh, that I had uh, two films for one slot on my top 30. And that's because I, I caught up with this these two foreign language films uh, that came out this year, Jean de Florette and Manon of the Spring. And I remember when these came out, uh, that I thought it was really interesting that hmm. they would do that. They're, I've never seen a project like that before where it's like two separate films part of a whole piece like the Three Colors trilogy or uh, Clint Eastwood's Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima that kind of thing so this is like my first memory of seeing something like that and so I caught up with both these films uh, finally uh, about a month ago and I uh, thought they were really good I mean I think that these are really and they, I think they should be watched like in the same evening you know it's like an intermission between the two films as, as one whole like four hour film um Really, yeah, just well made. Really good performances. Uh, good, um, maybe a little melodramatic at times, but um, but really solid, really solid stuff. I'm just gonna, I just wanted to throw that out there for those. Can I do my impression of the trailer? I never saw the trailer, really? so oh, I have no idea. Okay, here we go. Jean de Florette. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> great. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Can I, I'll do my my, my imitation of the uh, of the of the sequel trailer. Manana of the spring, do 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 do. Manana spring, do 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 do. Wow, Manana great. Manana. He, went there. he went there. He went there. Yep. Good. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I tried that out yeah. on yeah, on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to not cut that out. 
<laughs> okay, so now we're going into July. Mm-hmm. Um, some good stuff in July. Some stuff that mm, not so great. Yeah, but, this is this is the definition uh, of a mixed month. Right, this here. is a very mixed month. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, so it starts out. You got two comedies, um, two sort of big high concept comedies, I guess. Uh, one is a Ferris Bueller kind of wannabe called Adventures in Babysitting, and the still other still funny. I like mm, it. Really, really, I still like really? it. Okay, okay. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's hilarious, but there's things about it I like. Because this is a movie that has gotten its <laughs> racism accusations. To yeah, it. right. White kids going to the city, and you know the big. Black people are chasing them and oh. stuff. It's like Judgment Night, Judgment Day, or which one? What's the Emilio Estevez one? Judgment Night. That Judgment, Judgment Night, Night yeah. yeah, for for kids. Yeah, hmm. it's I yeah I, I when I watched it a few years ago, is like this does not hold up at all. No. It's in spite of in spite of Elizabeth Shue being very charming, which she is, of course. Um, but this is like a movie about the worst aspects of you know, like uh, somebody highlighting oh, yeah. somebody making Chicago not look very very flattering and it's not even filmed in <laughs> chicago it's filmed in toronto which makes it even more That's insulting even okay yeah. um well now i'm starting to like it less yeah i just I, it's one of those movies i know a lot of people love it and it, it's a nostalgia thing and you know it's it's hmm. yeah, isn't but, bradley uh, woodford the boyfriend yeah yeah the, and the then jerky uh, boyfriend. Mm-hmm. and then adam rap is in Vincent it Vincent is thor right thor the mechanic yep yeah, yeah. gotta love that um yeah, it just it doesn't hold up for me either. Okay, now I'm but sad. Interspace does, of course. Hell to the yes. <laughs> just um, cut the Martin Short dancing. Scene. No, that's no. Dumb. You keep no. You're dumb. <laughs> Test pilot Tuck Pendleton wants to make history. Supermarket clerk Jack Putter needs a vacation. Sir, I'm Jack. Jack. You're late. That's not good. You know it's coupon day. Lieutenant Pendleton is about to be miniaturized. Placed into this needle and then injected into this rabbit. Rock and roll. But something went wrong. And Tuck's about to get a new destination. <laughs> Inside Jack Putter. I'm in a man. Hello, can you hear me? I'm possessed! Now, Jack's got twice the problems. How you doing, Jack? But he's double the man. <laughs> With Tuck on his side. Kick him more cows! In his gut. I taped this movie on VHS when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and much like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I would skip over Cheer Up Charlie. Mm. I would always skip over Twisting the Night Away. Oh. I just never thought it was funny. I love this movie to death. Well, I love everything else. I, I, I think it, everything it, else about it is great. Yeah, it's it's Dante at his most Spielbergian. For sure. Know, for sure. I mean, yeah. the, the, he, ex- he executive produced it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, 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 the chase sequence in the center of this thing is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so much fun. Uh, I still think it's my, it's still my favorite Martin Short movie. To, to date, I can't think of another Martin Short movie. Yeah, I really. guess. Can, yeah. I mean, I mean, I like. I mean, he's, he's does, he does yeah. good like supporting that. work in yeah, other films, right? No, yeah, he's had stuff like that, but he's no. He had a problem with choosing films. Yeah, he, he had he had the Chris Rock problem where mm-hmm. he's he's great on SNL, great, like probably one of my top three favorite SNL. Yeah, people, mm-hmm. um, but then just couldn't great, create a great film career for himself. He's yeah. in a lot of stinkers. Pure luck, Three Fugitives. Cross my heart with Clifford. Yeah, Clifford. I, I, I don't dislike Cross my heart. No, because there are reasons to like Cross my heart. Yeah. Cross, well, <laughs> yes, I think the, the the last twenty minutes of Cross my heart kind of bad, but the I 
think most of that movie is pretty good. Um, but I, no, I, it, but I, Inner Space, I, I, I just, I mean, it's a Dante doing Fantastic Voyage, which is not, you know, a winner, one visual effects that year. And it, it's incredibly funny. It's 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 action packed. Dennis Quaid uh, it, is it's great. It's got a real it's got a real hard the stuff with Martin Short and Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Uh, there's a lot of charming stuff in the movie. Ma- Kevin McCarthy is hilarious. The cowboy the the, Robert. <laughs> I was getting to the cowboy. Okay. One of my favorite characters in film history is the cowboy. I love Robert Picardo as the cowboy. There's two 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 things you must know. One, I make love with my boots on. And two, we never know. I can't roof a steer because I don't know how. And I'm not for to start learning how. Yippee-i-o-hi. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite Dante movies. I just, I, it's, it's endlessly entertaining, this movie. I, w- I would agree. I, I loved this movie as a mm-hmm. kid. And I still think it holds up beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we got one of the great, one of the great action sci-fi oh, okay. movies. Ever. I was say one of the great sequels. Oh, yeah, you skipped over the, that one. Yeah, like, because why? Why? <laughs> why? We need to talk about this. <laughs> well, we don't need to talk about every single thing. At least no, we don't. It. Of course not. Right. We don't have to go in depth. It's a bad sequel. Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Yeah, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing to say. Mm-hmm. The end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but RoboCop. I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, it's RoboCop. Perfect. It's phenomenal. It's It came out of nowhere. I remember when I saw the trailer... I thought it looked terrible. Like I just thought it. I just was like, "This looks really bad. Like really cheesy." And it's called RoboCop. Dead or alive, and and it's not. You know, it's like something somebody trying to make a Schwarzenegger film, and it's it just yeah. looked terrible. And boy, was I wrong, or boy, was the trailer <laughs> wrong, or something was wrong. Yeah. But uh, but this was one of the great satires of the time. It was a great futuristic movie. Had one of the great villains in it. Um, Oh man, Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith. He is yeah. so good. Clarence Boddicker. Yeah, I mean, just, <sighs> bitches leave. Yeah, uh, you know, endlessly quotable, mm-hmm. um, and uh, unfortunately spawned a lot of bad sequels and a remake or two and a mm-hmm. TV show and uh, nothing ever lived up to to the original film uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven and this was kind of his American breakout film and uh, and man, what a what a great it's movie to start with! Unbelievable. I, I, I know he's made. I know he made films before that in his native land, but yeah. uh, you know. Were you at the Nick, Nick screening of it? I was not. You were not. Okay. Well, I, I, okay. So I didn't want to uh, bore you with this this story. Um, I, I, I I have a very distinct very distinct memory of seeing this movie. Um, it uh, this this was still a period of the video stores where they were still releasing new releases on like Fridays. Like we hadn't gotten to like the Tuesday release pattern mm-hmm. that 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 video stores had gotten into yet. So RoboCop, I remember it was coming out, and I used to keep a book of what was coming out every week and stuff like that. And my neighbor right across the street, not they don't live there anymore, but my neighbor that was lived right across the street there, uh, at like ten o'clock at night, came knocked on the door and just had RoboCop in his hand and let me borrow it. It was Thursday night, so it was before... So he went to a video store that let him take one of the early copies. He watched it and probably taped it, uh, and then brought it over here, and at 10 o'clock at night on a school night, I sat down right here, where we're at right now, watched RoboCop, and fell in love. That You want to talk about perfect action endings? Mm-hmm. Like, not just the, you know, you're fired, thank you. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, and then Murphy, perfect final line, yeah, RoboCop, one of the best movies in 1987. Yeah, anyone Without that says question. anything is 
I was rock. freaking traumatized though by the way he was <laughs> shot. Like I mean, the the before the, the, the you gra- saw the, the graphic violence, yeah. yeah, the graphic violence in this was just I wasn't prepared for it at the age I saw it. Well, originally rated X, yeah, that was the mm-hmm. the reason why I even became aware of this movie in that summer is that when people would do the summer movie previews, they had talked about how this movie was rated X for violence. Mm-hmm. At that time, you'd only really, at least I had only really heard of movies being rated X for sexual material, Angel Heart, we, we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, yeah. and, and things like that. But I didn't read it X for violence? Jesus Christ, how violent is this thing? And then you see it, and like, God damn, that was violent. And then you see the director's cut later on, and you, his death scene in the director's cut is even more brutal. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. just, oh, whew. And the guy gets uh, killed through the acid bath or whatever. Doesn't well, he? that was always, that's always That was always weird and gross. Yeah. <laughs> Unexpected. Yeah, help me. And a nice inside joke with me and my dad always when we had some when we try something new for the first time we would always deliver it in the same cadence of I like it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like it. And then later in the month, uh, a biopic, the Richie Valens biopic La Bamba. Which, oh, I thought you were going to say Jaws 4 was a biopic, but... It, sure. Colin is just going yes. over the sequels. He wants exactly. to pretend they never <laughs> happened. This was a bad sequel month. I'm going with stuff that I've I highlighted on okay. my list that oh, I, yeah. I think, yeah, you know, right. are worth talking about. Okay. And, I mean, yeah, I guess I didn't two, think of Jaws 4 two, as worth talking four about. Sequel. No, we're talking about La Bamba. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I'm just saying. I just, that's an, I have memories with that for sure. I I remember liking it. I mean, I haven't seen it since it came yeah. out, but uh, I, you know, it's your typical was, biopic. But it is. Yeah, it's a good one. I really think. It's I a always good one. thought it was, I was kind of like, nah. I cried. I mean, it was. <laughs> I mean, it was interesting. Is that music uh, of the fifties was kind of making a comeback in the eighties? It was starting to become more Bloody popular. Story. But and you know, I mean, Back to the Future was a oh, big sure, part yeah, of that. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. um, so uh, yeah, and and this was a film that you know there weren't a lot of movies being made about you know uh, Latin Americans or Me- Mexican Americans, and yeah. you know, and so I thought this was a this is kind of an important film in that in the way kind of like. In, in a way that Hollywood Shuffle's uh, an important film for this year. Um, sure. So, you know, it, I mean, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips, okay, not the greatest actor, <laughs> um, but... And know, it means nothing to me! <laughs> My Young Guns impression. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah, sorry. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, this is a movie where, you know... Uh, I think the brother, Isai Morales, is great right. in this movie. Yeah. Well, he's, the, he's kind of the standout. He's <laughs> yeah. got the, yeah. the flashier role mm-hmm. right. in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, I think kind of an important film for that summer to come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's pretty Richie! good. You know. yeah. <laughs> Richie! Yeah, it's. I bet if I watch it now, I'd still cry. <laughs> maybe it's not maybe. great. It's not. I mean, yeah. again, maybe a three star movie at best. But the I still think it's gave a good us one. Los Lobos. Of course, hey, Los Never Lobos forget. is a legit band. Yeah, yeah. this might what? have been my first Joey Pants movie too. He plays the record producer. Yeah. yeah. Risky, you never saw Risky Business before then? No. No? I think it was too young. Joey Pants is in another movie we'll be talking about mm. coming up mm. later on. That's this right. Year. That's right. Yep. I don't have vivid memories of summer school, but I, that was... I'm open to seeing it again sometime because a lot of people do love it. I love, they love it? I think so. Really? Mm. I know it's got fans. I don't, I don't remember anyone they loving it. They probably just it. like the it's... film school nerds in it. Yeah, it's not. A, I wouldn't say it's a film that holds up. It mm-hmm. is a, a product of its time, okay. I guess, and um, yeah. I, I can't. I can't really. 
cop to saying I remember how much I laughed at it. I think I liked some of the people in it more than I laughed, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, Chainsaw Dave, though, are Trump speechwriters. T- that much. You remember Chainsaw Dave in summer school? And their, yeah, yeah, their okay. Hundred word essay on American Werewolf in London. Right, Rick Baker. Right, very, 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 very hundred words right on the top. Don't they do like a Texas Chainsaw thing? Like a well, yeah, parody? they do. They do a Siskel Niebuhr again. Oh. Siskel Niebuhr is a very, very big thing at this time, and they do a Siskel Niebuhr review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right, and and they're reviewing roller coasters. They're they're they were doing. The, this is one of the first big things they were doing bringing Siskel and Ebert to the mainstream of cinema hmm. in a way. So yeah, Hollywood shuffle did that. Hollywood and, shuffle uh, did that. And yeah. this did that. And it's, yeah, I wouldn't go out of your way. Okay. No, to see no. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lest I get, <laughs> yelled, at get for, yelled at again, again. for mm-hmm. skipping a sequel, Superman mm-hmm. four canon. Another try the movie that sunk canon. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, over the top we talked about, and uh, there's another canon movie later this year that will will get brought up, but or should get brought up. Uh, But Superman four, the quest for peace, great idea for a Superman movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, timely, ridding the world, nuclear weapons. The the even the nuclear man character, I think, is not a terrible idea for a villain. It's just canon. I'm going to do what our governments have been unwilling or unable to do. Effective immediately, I'm going to rid our planet of all nuclear weapons. The greatest threat to Superman is Lex Luthor. Smarter than I thought. We can make the world safe for war profits. He's created the ultimate weapon to annihilate the Man of Steel. You risk worldwide nuclear war for your own personal financial gain. Nobody wants war. It's just it is cheapo special effects and not and uh, I think it was t- probably taken away from the filmmakers of the time. It was sure. kind again. Uh, so it's just it's just bad. I remember both Jaws four and Superman four getting zero stars. I remember picking up the paper and seeing that like really? within the same month. Jaws four, I certainly understand. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah, and Jaws four, Jaws for the revenge. For one, it's the movie that Michael Caine was doing, so he didn't pick up his hand on the sisters' Oscar, if you remember that. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't make it to the award ceremony because right. he was dedicated. Um, right, but then he showed up the next year and did give a speech when he was presenting, which is kind of funny. Uh, but you remember Jaws 4? Remember there were two old, two different endings to Jaws 4? No. There was the one in the theater where Mario Van Peebles gets killed. He gets taken by the shark, and on the home video version, he comes back. Hmm. And then, but I think when they play it on cable, they don't play the, that cut. But the, yeah, so okay. hmm. just saying. Okay. All right, history. Uh, you want to talk about Living Daylights? I, I'm a Dalton oh. fan. Okay, I like hmm. I like I'm I, you know I'm I, I, like I the, should revisit his. Movies I like the two Timothy Dalton movies. They're you know I, I I'll take the two Timothy Dalton movies over any of the Brosnan films. I, I, I stand by I, that to this yeah, day. Yeah, I, I wouldn't argue that. I, I would say that there's there's there might be a blandness to Dalton, even as the sort of the gruffer, harder harder edged Bond. That I think Daniel Craig did a, a bit better than he did, but they're very solid action films. Hmm. I think they're both very solid. Uh, Living, Living Daylight, in particular, has some really good uh, action sequences and it's some really great uh, old fashioned stunt work and stuff. Uh, License to Kill, I, I like. I don't know why I like that one a little bit better. Maybe maybe because because it was the first one that I saw in a the, the first Bond movie I ever saw in a the theater was License to Kill. 
I'm pretty sure I um, saw Living Daylights in the theater and yeah. liked it fine. Yeah, I think it, it's 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 good. I, I I've always thought it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about it, but okay. I think if, as Bond <laughs> movies go, I think it's one of the one of the better ones. Okay. And then uh, we got the Lost Boys, which um, which falls under the Goonies category of. I really liked it when I was younger, and I don't like it as much now. Yeah. Good night, blood sucker. No. <laughs> the last half hour 40 minutes whatever just kind of drags it down and then the movie ends up really it's got all these great themes of peer pressure and you know um (laughs) eric's got the novelization eric's got a big pile of novelization where's the saxophone guy on the cover there that's Um, he's he's not in the cover no No, i don't know if he gets referenced here at all well so i think this is a movie that like brings up a lot of cool adolescent themes but then at the end of the movie it's not about anything you know, just kind of hmm. movie just kind of ends with a punchline, and then the credits the roll. The blood sucking Brady Bunch, and uh, it's just. I mean, I but I think I think there are some like like I think the first like I said forty five minutes or so is kind of fun. You know, it's very eighties, very Joel Schumacher, and very you know stylish. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, maybe casting Corey Haim as the comic relief isn't the strongest choice, but. Um, but you know there are certainly worse movies with the two Corys in them. Um, oh yeah. And uh, but I so there's stuff in Lost Boys that I like, but it's certainly not as good as another movie we're going to talk about that is similar yeah. later on. Yeah, it's like two and a half stars for me now. Yeah, yeah this is this is one of those '87 movies that I was really looking forward to. I just I you know I, I was a Goonies guy. I like so I was I liked Corey Feldman and I like vampire stories. So I thought this look this looked really cool. Uh, I I think it has a great soundtrack. I think it's a really really good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I have that album somewhere in here too. Um, People are strange. And yeah, that's and where I first heard that song. Was it Echo and the Bunnymen? Yeah, Echo and the Bunnymen who did it. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem when you're unwanted. Streets are running when you're down. When you're strange. Yeah, and I, remember, and I saw this. I got my dad to take me to Elk Grove for the when they came to Elk Grove for the dollar show. It was only a nine forty five show, so we had to go, you know, late and see the movie. And I I really enjoyed it at the time. It doesn't. The thing that still stands out to me is the the style. I think that there's the the mood of the film uh, mostly works. It does then get into the action stuff later on in the movie, and it's not as strong. But the idea that you know like. Teenagers were fighting vampires. I'll, I'll take it over the Monster Squad. Sorry, folks. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's not the same level for me. Yeah, and it, and it inspires some really great jokes in what we do in the shadows. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you enjoy your worms? <laughs> we stole that from the Lost Boys. That's right. It's great. What about that? So, You're eating maggots, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work on chips. It only looks on, works on things that already look like worms. <laughs> Uh, so do we want to move on to August now? Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of still like Stakeout. Stakeout's all right. Yeah. I kind of like mm. it, too. I watched it uh, a few weeks ago, and um, it's all right. Yeah, good chemistry okay. again. Badham, the... Typical John Badham yeah. 80s yeah. kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah, it's a little too long. Yeah, it's, it's definitely little, long. It's, it, it could cut. They could cut 20 minutes out of it easily. And Certainly. Still, be and still not lose any. <laughs> but dry, I like. I mean, Dreyfus, Dreyfus is, is fun. Make, kind of makes yeah. that movie yeah. work. I mean, mm-hmm. Dreyfus is very funny in it. Yeah, absolutely. And I like Estevez. I think the two of them are, are pretty. Yes, yeah. I think they're good chemistry. Good mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fine. 
Um, and then I, I, you know, I never saw Masters of the Universe Ever? all the way really? through. Really? Not oh, all wow. the way through. Really? No, I just, I, you know, I just like the He-Man thing was never really in, in my thing anyway. Yeah, and, yeah. And then I was already, like, this is when I'm starting high school. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm done with all that stuff. You yeah. Know? And it just, I don't know. I, I was really went back to it. So. I wasn't in high school yet. And, I mean, the He-Man thing was, like, mid-80s. Yeah. Even, you know, well before the cartoon. And that was my, there was Star Wars and then there was, Masters of the Universe right. stuff for me, and I just I thought the, the you know the, the, all the things were cool. I just I liked it. You know, you play with them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I, 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 and I, I, will, I don't think choice. the Masters of the Universe movie is bad. I, I I don't. I think that they're well, they did exactly what they set out to do. I mean, I think you know they didn't have the money to do a full thing in Eternia. You know, so they <laughs> they yeah. made it. They came to our world, so you had all these the, the He Man and Tila and Man at Arms and whatnot in our world mm-hmm. with Courtney Cox, and there's time travel and and uh, oh, Frank- there's time travel in it, and there's James Tolkien, James Tolkien, yeah. right, and um, <laughs> Frank Langella and Courtney Cox and uh, Meg, Meg Foster's Foster. Evil Lynn. Perfect. Not Meg- she was born to play that with her eyes. With her eyes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wouldn't be wouldn't have been my first choice to play Evil Lynn, but I I, mm-hmm. I get it. Um, and then the Billy Barty is the character that wasn't in any of the Masters oh, right. of the Universe. Uh, Gwil- Gwildor, I think his name yeah. was. Yeah, he's drinking barbecue sauce and stuff, eating from the chicken restaurant. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, but and, and I mean, even Dolph Lundgren says during the Electric Boogaloo thing that you know he felt kind of stupid, you know, do, doing the movie. Yeah. But you know, I it's it's probably I mean it's the only He Man movie we have and may may ever get, but it was. As good a He-Man movie, I think, as you could possibly get. It's the same way that when they mm-hmm. made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie a few years after that, it was probably the best possible version of that thing you could possibly do at the time for the money. And yeah, it was a huge bomb. It it, it It's one of the movies, one of the three movies credited as tanking canon films. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing I it in the theater. I don't think it's and bad. I, I was excited bad. for it, and... I walked out going, that was all right. I mean, I wasn't, yeah. like, over the moon. I no. didn't hate it. No. I just thought, eh. Yeah. I had a good time while I was watching it, and I probably won't be excited to rewatch it as much as, like, some of these yeah, other it's, it's, movies. No. But it's not horrible. No. That's not horrible. I also saw Back to the Beach that same weekend. Back to the Beach is odd, because... Yes, it is I, odd. <laughs> for well, sure. I mean, because, like, it, when it came out, I remember it was so well-reviewed. Like, yeah. the critics loved it. And then I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on video. And I got, you know, like, for the first five... Like, for the first, like, 15 minutes or so, I thought, okay, this is actually kind of funny and pretty charming and, and better than the trailer would suggest. But I had no frame point of reference for these the movies that it was referencing. Same yeah. here. And so, like, uh, once the beach part of the movie got started I was like I felt lost I'm like I don't get why this is great I seriously don't get it's you know it's a weird nostalgia trip that it's I a nostalgia trip that I have no I, I have no. no connection to and it just didn't do anything for me maybe maybe I'd like it more now I was excited when Pee Wee showed up But the, the first ten minutes of that movie are actually really funny. Yeah, the yeah, first ten yeah, minutes yeah. are really funny. And but Colin's right; I had kind of the exact same reaction to it. I mean, Frankie Avalon beating the door down with his kid's head—that's funny. I'm sorry, that's funny. <laughs> of course, but yeah, when it does become the nostalgia trip, and they're bringing in actors who are from that period and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, the, the music was was, was kind of cool in it, uh, but yeah, I didn't. What it was when all Pee Wee showed up and then he rockets away in his little silver surfer slider or whatever. Um, but yeah, 
It's I I would still recommend it. Yeah, I mean I Yeah, it's fine. I yeah. I would I would like to see it again now that I know more, mm-hmm. you know, that now that I get right. what it's trying to do. So, mm-hmm. interesting interesting film. Oh, yeah. Some stinkers coming up. Oh uh, yeah, well it's August, you know, I mean the patterns haven't changed much uh or you know, over the years. August yeah. is is not quite a dumping ground, but it's not exactly a great slot to have your film open either. Um there was a huge bomb with Madonna called Who's That Girl with her and Griffin Dunn. Uh, that was pretty terrible. The follow-up um, to At Close Range yeah. by James Foley. Yeah. Uh, that's James a, Foley directed it? James Foley directed Who's mm-hmm. That Girl. It's yeah. still better than Fifty Shades Darker. It's true. <laughs> it, Man, is. This is, mm-hmm. it is. It is. But there is one... Uh, well, it's, uh, there is a, a pretty terrific thriller, uh, No Way Out. Uh, Kevin Another Costner's... Movie I haven't seen I should... You never seen No Way Out? No. Ooh. Let us convince you. Well, you can convince. Me, I'll try to convince. You. I think Was this it's Tony Scott too. No. Oh, Roger Donaldson. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of Revenge. There's. I mean, No Way Out is a is a. It's a good thriller. I mean, well written thriller, but I think there's today a lot of the stuff is very cheesy and over the top and very of its time. Okay. You know, a lot of the, a lot of there's a lot of uh, overacting done in in the film and a lot of uh you know overdone score in the film huh. but it's a good st- it's a good script and Costner's really good in it and Hackman is is pretty good in it um so i mean there's there's stuff in it that makes it worth watching uh and, okay. and at the time it was it was hmm. a surprise hit and or modest hit i guess hmm. um and you know the second Costner movie to come out that summer um yeah, and uh, I, since you haven't seen it, I don't want to. We don't want to get into spoilers and no. stuff because there are a lot of twists and turns to this movie. Uh, you, it, it's a movie that Colin mentioned a good script. You really, you do have to turn off a portion of your brain for it because it is kind of based on a very goofy, very very implausible premise. Yeah. Okay. Um, as, as crazy as the stuff that's going on now in politics that may <laughs> or may not be going on now. The central premise of what goes on in this movie is kind of like, really, they could have gotten away with that, even in yeah. Reagan-era times? But anyway, you turn that part off, and you go with it, and it's it's very well executed. It's it's it's, it's a great race against, uh, race against time, uh, wrong man accused kind of thriller. Uh, the the first half is all set up. The second half is all payoff. Okay. Um, and it uh, and it has I, again. I don't want to spoil too much because there are a lot of twists and turns to this movie, and it's always held up for me. Hmm. I've always liked hmm. this movie very much. Unlike Can't Buy Me Love, which one, I liked it when I which I liked when I was younger one for of some my, weird one reason. One of my worst films ever. Yeah, I think it's, it's, one, it's, I think it's, it's one of the worst a reprehensible ever. movie. Yes, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm ashamed I even liked it. I knew that in '87, and yeah. I think You're I liked smart. Beverly Hills Cop 2 back then. So, <laughs> oh well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I this hate, is this I is this is a recurring thing that I'm noticing more and more as we're going through this. It's like, yeah, I really like this movie. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, rewatching it mm-hmm. now as an adult, I'm kind of like, ugh, <laughs> yuck. Yeah, no, this is wrong on so many levels. Uh, the Fat Boys had a movie called Disorderlies. We can skip that. Yeah, uh, uh, we've met, we've already name dropped Monster Squad. I feel yeah. like ten times during this podcast. Too we much. need to do two and a half. Stars. We can keep going. <laughs> it's not that great. No, um, it's not. And then one of the big success stories of this year was a, uh, an interesting success story because it, the success happened so gradually. Uh, Dirty Dancing. She thought it would be just another summer vacation. 
Who's that? Oh, them. They're the dance people. But it turns out to be the time of her life. What's me now? I can't even do the merengue. He teaches her what she can do. Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. Uh, by the way, this the, the story is so strange in this movie. Nobody ever brings it up. Like these two characters don't get together unless one another character has an abortion. So for me, it's an abortion musical. Um, that's kind of how I always oh, describe yeah. it. Um, yeah, it's that's uh, there's a kind of weirdness to it that in that in that way. Yeah. A little subversive. Nobody well, nobody wants to talk about that part, but it's there, people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, it's the cause of friction between it's, Jerry Orbach and right. Swayze. That's right. true. That's uh, but yeah, but that's like that's the plot. Of, that's the element in the script that gets these two characters hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, but Dirty Dancing was I remember it was just kind of started out as a little modest hit, low budget film. And I think as I remember it, it wasn't until it got to the dollar theaters where it got way more popular. Hmm. Um, like people, more people just discovered it and started lining up around the the block to see it at the Dollar House. Hmm. Uh, that's that's how I remember because that's where I first saw it. Okay, and um, and it just it was it was one of those success stories that just it wasn't immediate. Um, so no, I mean I'm just looking at the box office numbers for this, and it is one of the most remarkably low key steady. Yeah. gradual uh, increases of dollars that I've, I've ever seen, frankly. Um, and I, I can't, it doesn't say here when it hit the dollar shows or how long it might have stayed at the dollar It stayed shows. at the dollar shows a long time. Yeah, because I mean, it, th- this is a movie that, I mean, after the week it opened, made at least a million dollars every week, every weekend, mm-hmm. up until de- mid-December. Yeah, from August wow. to December, and and but didn't do much more than that. Like yeah. the first couple, we made a few million dollars, and then a couple times we made two million dollars. But it was always like between one and two million dollars. So that d- does seem like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then eventually ended up grossing uh, over sixty three million dollars on a that's six million budget. Really impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so- the soundtrack. Other- it was one of those movies that was eighty seven. Was a big soundtrack year. Mm-hmm. Two Definitely. dirty dancing, clearly one of the the, the, the leaders, and one one best original song yep. as well. Yeah, are there other examples of that that it just gradually gets to blockbuster six? Like maybe something well, like my big, big fat Greek, Greek wedding, wedding yeah. would be one of those. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, even something like there's something about Mary was didn't open oh, number one. Yeah. There, there, there That's are a good cases one. like that. Hmm. Um, anyone seen the stage version of Dirty Dancing? No, yeah, I have. Like it. Did you have the time of your life? I did not. I okay. took on a date. <laughs> And we're not together anymore, so oh, no. no. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it was for her, and uh, I, I, I'll just say that the the lead actor in the Chicago production was really trying to swayze it up. And when you see someone trying to swayze it up, it mm-mm. yeah, it's a little forced. Like you a either forced. you gotta be swayze or you're not. Yeah. So, um, and then the Big Easy was one that I caught up with again. Same here. I uh, really liked mm. it. Yeah, it's good. It's a little. I mean, it's depiction of. You know, Good year the, for Louis, the Louisiana uh, Bayou, like a lot of the characters in are a little cartoonish by yeah. today's standards. Yeah. It's a little too, hey, you'll have some good. Boys. That's true. You know? That's true. That's uh, one thing that kind of bugged me. It's a little, yeah, like today it's a little too, like, okay, pull And it you back. see where it's going because we've seen so many of these other cop uh, procedural slash 
uh, dirty cop movies. I'm trying to think of <laughs> yeah, but of, I like mean, your but, LA Confidential or whatever. Right, but at the time, I mean, there weren't a lot of movies that were really making the landscape part mm-hmm. of the story. That's and true. Really and really embracing it and really trying to uh, you know bring it to the mainstream. Um, in a in a film like this, and I and so for at the time, it, it's a movie that worked better at the time. Yeah, I, I think I, there's still I'm some great stuff in it. I mean, D- Dennis Quaid is is great in it. Um, Ellen uh, uh, Barkin. Barkin is is. I mean, the, the cast is across they got the board great, great chemistry in this. Yeah, and it's that, and that it's, sells the movie. And it's sexy too. I mean, it is yeah, very yeah, much the, so. They're, they're, they're and not like explicit and, either. It's just the, no, just it, like the sexiness of two people that really are really into each other. Right. Yeah. Not like an exploitive kind of way. This exactly. is a movie that, This is another movie that Cisco Ebert championed. Yeah. Big, big time. time. Four stars from Roger Ebert. Mm-hmm. Um. This I think it was like number two on his top ten list, possibly. Wow. I have to look that up, but uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a good film. I, I don't good. I don't quite like it as much as they did, but I think it's a good film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it ends up in the climax, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of expect. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John Goodman in the film too. Of course, always got to mention John Goodman. Yeah, last one's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I got nothing to say about Born in East L.A. and Garbage Pail Kids. You uh, Hamburger Hill is a good Vietnam movie. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! Yeah, it's 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 good. It's very unconventional, especially Never for its time. This, I don't think it's good. It, okay, it's it's kind of hmm. it's not really um, you know a singular storyline. It's basically it's very you know very multiple characters, multiple like little hmm. storylines going on in it, um, but all centered around the battle at of yeah at Hamburger Hill. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's really well done. It's really it's it's a really good movie. Not not a huge cast in it. I mean, there are some some names in it that went on to. I, I want to say Don Cheadle is in it. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott, the, oh. the the leader of the of the crew. Yeah. Um, but you'd think a movie like this that is so loaded with characters. I Courtney mean, B. Vance. Yeah. Was hmm. uh, a, a big big part of that story. It, it's a, yeah. it's a good film. Yeah. It really is. It's it is. no hamburger the motion picture though. Hmm. Okay. No skiing in it. No. Or is that hot dog? That's hot dog. Okay. Um, any, do you, either of you have anything to say about The Fourth Protocol? I don't remember. Good, it's a good Michael Caine thriller. Yeah. Yeah, good hmm. Michael Caine. That's is that that's the one with Brosnan, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good, uh, that, that's a good solid uh, race against the clock. Uh, Brosnan is building a, a nuclear bomb, basically, and Michael Caine is the intelligence hmm. agent that uh, has has to track him down it's uh yeah it's a it's a it's a solid thriller mm-hmm. it is it's yeah. good okay so moving on to september then house two is horrible okay <laughs> horrible probably okay. the worst film of the year okay really maybe the worst film of the year yeah I, there's a probably. lot to choose from this year well i mean i didn't see garbage pail kids i wasn't even talking about that <laughs> there's well i, I, I know I'm just wow okay <laughs> um that's still August, though. So September, yeah. uh, the first movie on the list here for September that that uh, I remember seeing and liking a lot, and I, and I own it, is um, a comedy called In the Mood with uh, Patrick Dempsey. And I don't, a comedy with Patrick Dempsey in the 80s normally means Ooh. crap, Ooh. but this is a good one. And this was uh, written and directed by Phil Alden Robinson. <gasps> and um, it tells, oh. it's a really good, it's a really great uh, uh, it's a great concept for a movie. I mean, it's based on a true story uh, about a guy named uh, Sonny Wisecarver who was, when he was a teenager, he was like 16 years old. Um, he <laughs> ended up getting married three times um, one year. And his story kind of just sort of took 
the nation by storm on the headlines it kind of took their mind off i think world war ii was going on at the time <laughs> what a and it was distraction. just it was just <laughs> but it was it was kind of one of those fun little distractions he that, did what yeah i mean so, i mean just like because, the dog because seriously it's uh you know i mean it is kind of a crazy story um a about a uh you know about a guy who's just he didn't he wasn't trying to like you know, get these women to marry him. It just happened to him. Mm. Um, Patrick Dempsey is really good in it. And uh, uh, Beverly D'Angelo's in it too. Really funny performance from her. And uh, it, it flew way under the radar. I mean, it was in the art houses for a little while and never really broke beyond that. Unfortunately, I remember seeing it at the biograph theater. My parents took me to see it there um, when they were an art house, when that was an art house theater in Chicago. And um, I always really liked the movie, and unfortunately, it's been forgotten over the years. But Warner Archives, th- thankfully, put it out on DVD, so people should check that one out in the mood. Yeah, no, I like it too. And I mean, the, the Dempsey thing was death for me. Yeah, especially after seeing Camp on Me Love. Oh yeah, I, I mean, there was just almost no going back. Um, but yeah, no, no, in the in the mood is a charming film. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of the big success stories of the year, um, the movie that. You know, when they say movies that capture the zeitgeist, Fatal Attraction was one of those films for 1987. A mistake he'd regret all his life. And where's your wife? Daddy! Honey, oh, God. And you're here with a strange girl being a naughty boy. I don't think having dinner with anybody's a crime. I've got to see you. This is going to stop. No, it's not going to stop. It's going to go on and on. She keeps calling me apart. Hello? Every time Beth answers the phone, she hangs it. I'm scared, Jimmy. You play fair with me? Do you have an affair with her? I'll play fair with you. I don't want to lose my family. How could you do that? You're scared of me, aren't you? You're afraid. Gutless, heartless, spineless. If you ever come near my family again, I'll kill you. You understand? Daddy! I'm not going to be ignored. Alicia, where's Ellen? She's gone. Michael Douglas and Glenn Close, Close and Ann Archer, all nominated for Academy Awards for this film. Uh, the film was nominated for wow. Best Picture, uh, and Adrian Lyne directed it. And this is a movie that I didn't go see it until it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh. Then I was like, all right, I guess I'll go see it. Um, and I think it's okay. I, I, I think it's, it's how I've I think always felt. I think it's pretty good until the end. Yeah, I think the ending is kind of ridiculous. It's I think the original ending, the, the original ending that they shot. Uh, what's darker and you know a little more Hitchcockian and better, but uh, but the ending that's in the film now it's a little more silly, a little more Friday the Thirteenth like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that just isn't isn't nearly as strong. But uh, I think I like the performances a lot, and it's it's one of those movies. It's still being parodied to this day yeah. because of SNL with mm-hmm. uh, the Kellyanne Conway thing that they yeah. did last week, which was hysterical. Yeah. Um, I don't. Know, do you like Fatal Attraction? I do, yeah. I do, and and I do have a very kind of unique not not a unique, but I I remember very specifically. I did see this movie in the theater uh, with my dad. Yeah, <laughs> my dad oh, took boy. me to see Fatal Attraction. He picked me up from basketball practice, and we went and saw Fatal Attraction. Um, now, which is more plausible, me at twelve years old seeing Fatal Attraction or me playing basketball? Um, but. <laughs> But no, we the the, the I remember there was, this is a period. And there's another movie we're gonna get to as well. We didn't see it right away. I don't think we didn't see it until probably like October. But um, 
and it's not the first time, not the last time we're going to talk about a movie with ending issues, I think, throughout you know this, mm-hmm. particularly alternate endings. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, the you could say that the, the two don't fit to an extent, but I... I I find myself defending the Friday the 13th ending a little bit because it's, it seems to fit a little bit more with the progression that the movie was getting to. I always thought when they finally showed the infamous alternate ending that if the movie was a little bit more subtly psychological, then that ending might have worked better. But I don't think it's nearly as satisfying an ending as that. Now, granted, it is... It became a cliche. This was a movie that spawned a countless, oh, yes. countless uh, versions of it. We talked about this. Sort of the, 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 met, the, the stepfather was well. That was prior to it, but that this was the movie that really kind of inspired the domestic yeah. uh, terror Sleeping with the enemy, thing. Sleeping with the enemy, mm-hmm. Hand the Rocks the Cradle. You know, all, all, all these types of movies. Sure. Um, but but this one, I mean, it, it, again, it's, it's exceptionally well acted. Douglas and Close are really good in the movie. I think Line is very good at mood. He's very he's oh, yeah. a very stylish director. He's very good at mood. Um, it it progresses, I think, really well as a thriller. I haven't seen it in a while, granted, uh, but it, I don't know. And maybe his misogynist to, to enjoy that ending a little bit, but damn it. <laughs> I think it's, it's, an effect, it's an effectively staged ending. Yeah, 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 for sure. Even if you think it's ridiculous. So I will I will defend it a little bit. There you go. Yeah, no, I like yeah. it. I like yeah, it, yeah. though. I, I, I Overall, I like it, too, mm-hmm. the film. There are um, the nine and a half weeks we oh, talked God, about yes. last time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I never... I, boy, I watched Hellraiser a few weeks ago, and... Ugh. It's great! What are you guys ugh. talking about? I feel like Dream Warriors part... Do all really your Hellraiser really? guy? Yeah, I like Hellraiser. I never, I never I like Clyde Barker. For, I like Clyde Barker a lot, uh, a lot. Yeah, okay. his writing especially. Well, yeah, but these are the movies. I know, but this is a good movie. <laughs> I, I, I remember it's gross and weird and very subversive and just kind of eerie. I remember know? my friends and I we were in you know me and two other guys uh, we were into horror movies and uh, we tried to go see this opening weekend. We were really, it was, we were so excited about it. But we knew we weren't old enough to get into it yet. And so we had to go to the Randhurst Theater, which was a four-screen theater. And we knew we had to buy a ticket to a PG-13 movie before we can go and see this. And I noticed that this movie is not on this list, but it should be. Um, The film that we had to buy a ticket to. I'm looking and it's not here and it should be. Which movie? We went up to the ticket counter and bought a ticket to Dancers. Is that Mikhail Baryshnikov? Yes. Yeah, that is a 1987 movie. That's right. not on the list? It's, I do not see it on this list. It should be on here. Uh, no, it is. It is where? For October it. 9th. Oh, God. Really? Okay. So right I guess we did 3 o'clock. Okay, high. then I guess we didn't yeah, go opening weekend. All right. Okay. I thought we went opening weekend. So anyway, we... So yeah, we had to go... We, we each bought a ticket to Dancers and then snuck into Hellraiser. And this is the only time I've ever gotten caught sneaking into an R-rated film. The guy took us out. He's like, all right, come on, let's go. I know you guys don't want to go see Dancers. What are you kidding me? Get out of here. That's hilarious. Like, yeah, all right. It would have been great if you like just had like a British accent. Like, no, sir, actually, we want to. You know, just like... We should have thought of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm huge into ballet. Yeah. Right, right, right. 
How, how dare you, sir? You offend me. <laughs> White Knights is my favorite movie. Never, never, uh, never say that in my presence. Oh, that's true. Say you say, say me you say Power of Love yeah, for yeah. Best Original Song, know, and so White Knights can go to hell. <laughs> I know. Just saying. Okay, so what else in September? Um, mm, the Amazon Women on the Moon? Yes. It's great. Yeah. Well, not well maybe great. not great. It's good. It's, not it's, great. Yeah. It's, it's, Hit and miss, but mo- some mostly, really funny stuff. Yeah. Hit for it. me. Yeah. Yeah. The there Joe is, Dante funeral. The Arsenio Hall thing that starts the movie oh, is, is hilarious. That's great, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bullshit or not? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I again. This is like no. it's spotty. I mean, like any type of movie like that, it's it's spotty. But the 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 science, the science fiction parody is funny with Steve Force and Sybil mm-hmm. Danning is, is is funny that uh, Landis did that one, right? Pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, if there's boobs in it, then Landis definitely did that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Lou Jacoby is the guy that gets and puts himself on all the TV shows. That's funny. funny. Yeah. yeah. Puts himself in a Huey Lewis video at one point. Just I bring that up. I love it. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's more of like my dad and I laughed a lot together yeah. watching it. So it's probably mostly that too. But every fifteen minutes in this country, a black person's born without a soul. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Alan Greer. David yeah. Alan Greer. Yeah. Oh, that's so Funny. good. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely inserting that. Cl- Jim, insert a clip of that in that <laughs> here at this yeah. moment. Jim Chimney, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Cherry. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Chim Chimney, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Cheru. Good luck will rub off when I shake hands with you. This is B.B. King saying, won't you please give so that Don Simmons here and so many others can become useful members of society. Or below me a kiss and that's lucky too. To blacks without soul, but there is a great comedy in this month, and that's The Princess Bride. Yeah, um, mm. and a little dismayed to find its low box office numbers here. But yeah, I know 30 million, it's, even for 1987, like it became a bigger hit on video. Yeah, it it's did, true. it did. Um, 30 million, and even in 1987, is just it's okay, but uh, but this is a movie that has definitely survived and is uh, you know celebrated every five years. Where's, the, where's your book version of it? I, I, of well, all the books I have, I don't have The Princess oh my, Bride. Well, that would not be that a novel. That was one of the first movies, right. that, books that, that I read I don't have as that a kid. Book. That would not be a novelization. These are novelizations, right? Right, correct. Yeah. So, because Princess oh, I Bride the, is I thought based, the movie came first. No. No, no oh, the weird. book, no, book okay. came first. Um, hmm. William Goldman adapted his own book, and, um, and they assembled just the best cast for this thing oh my uh, lord rob reiner you know was riding that career high at this point another director in that canon that you talk about with like levinson and yeah stuff that yeah. this was his time this mm-hmm. was this was you know he was in that great peak of his of his career and uh you know i mean geez carrie elways and mandy patinkin and wallace sean and uh robin wright billy crystal christopher guest christopher guest chris sarandon um and just all these little cameos, Peter Cook, you know, one of the great scenes from that Marriage. film. Yeah. <laughs> um, just tremendous. Every, in every single scene is just, it just Comedy crackles goals, with yeah. wit and it's fun and uh, very romantic. You know, when it's sincere, it still works, even mm-hmm. when the rest of it is being a little snarky. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's one of those great, Marriages of a great script, great director, and great cast uh, coming together to just make this film that 
still fun to watch today. I mean, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Pete, Pete, and I'm just, I'm for some reason, I'm looking at my best list for some reason, and I don't know what happened to my list, but I'm missing so many movies off my best list because this would be on it. Well, that's the thing about like 1987. Like I've changed my 1987 list so many times yeah. over the years because there are just so many great films that. When you're done watching, yeah. like, why isn't this on my top ten list? And because once, I, once you, I can only put ten movies in my top yeah. ten list. And once you rewatch it, it, it could be reinforced. Your love can be reinforced for it all over again. That it bumps yeah. it up on the list. And, yeah. But I'm talking about I like just made this list, okay. so I don't understand what happened. I mean, I was doing it a little bit gradually, granted, but and going down the the box office list. But I don't understand why. And I'm moving it somewhere into my <laughs> list. I'm gonna play with it while we continue to talk. Okay. But oh, sure. no. We'll talk- I, later. Yeah, so, we will yeah. talk about this yeah. later, but no, Princess, Princess Bride, one of the most gracefully aged movies yeah. I can think of. Yeah. I mean, it's 30 It's thirty years old. It is everything Collins has said. I mean, it's the sincerity of it. It, it feels like a no, a, someone reading a novel, obviously, you feel like Fred Savage mm-hmm. in that movie. And I think even that has the, the great sincere payoff of that movie and the the way that he starts responding to the movie it's it's all of us and I mean Christopher Guest hands go to eleven I mean it's just there's so many just wonderful oh, things yeah. yeah um yeah the the the, the, the sword fights are great mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the sword mm-hmm. fights are great in this movie I think that the, the the fight between Wesley and Inigo is one of the great sword fights I think has ever been mm-hmm. staged one of the most entertainingly staged sword fights. Uh, the the payoff Inigo's final line to Count Rugen is one of my all time favorite yeah. payoff lines ever. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a masterpiece in its own right. I really think believe that endlessly quotable. It's one of those mm-hmm. movies too that even my friends who aren't huge movie buffs will yeah. acknowledge this is a great movie and just they own it and watch it all the time and yeah. love it as much as I do. Yeah, I mean this is I mean I've always said I'm very. Uh, forgiving of people and their opinions. I'm very much on the old school of, okay, we, not everybody's going to love every film and not everybody's has the same opinions and we are all different people and everything like that. But if you don't like the princess bride, you're a freaking idiot. <laughs> I think this is and why, we have uh, nothing to say to each other. I mean, how do you not like the princess bride? Right. Then you're, then you're just a you're tool. Just a bad person. You're just you're a, a bad, bad person. person. Yeah. Um, I think this is why Patrick refuses to see it. Because <laughs> he's worried, he's genuinely worried that he, if he doesn't be. like this. Yeah. He should be. Okay, yeah. and there's going to be like a you know an army. Yeah, I think <laughs> one of the on reasons why I think one of the reasons why it didn't really connect back then was just it was a hard movie to market. I mean, it was yeah. you look at the poster, and it's called The Princess Bride, and it looks very fairy tale like. You don't know from looking at the poster, or the ads that it's this great comedy, right? And that's that was a problem, right? Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I don't so. think I saw it till video. And that's, yeah, I didn't. That's, no, me neither. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that's it for September, right? Um, um, I'll, I'll, a couple I'll just I'll th- I'll okay. throw out there really quick. Uh, bestseller with Brian Dennehy and James Woods, I think, mm. is a pretty decent thriller. Didn't care for it too much the first time I saw it, but I like the two of them. Larry Cohen together. wrote it. Larry Cohen wrote it. Yeah, uh, right. John Irvin directed it. Uh, not a great movie, but uh, but the two of them have, have a really solid... Yes. I mean, they're, they're, they're really good in the movie. Uh, and I can watch it just for their interplay. Um, and The Big Town, uh, Matt Dillon... Uh, never saw that. You never saw this? Well, mm. Diane Lane's naked. How you doing? <gasps> How you doing now? Okay. Okay. But there's, though there's two naked Diane Lane movies in September. We didn't mention Lady Beware, either. Mm. Not that we should, but okay. Diane Lane's naked in it. Uh, Big Town, also naked. But that's not the highlight. It's, it's actually a really good... 
uh, period gambling story. Uh, Matt Dillon comes, I think, I'm pretty sure it's Chicago that he comes to in the 1930s or something like that. Tommy Lee Jones plays uh, runner of a, a back hall gambling hall, and it's oh, all about okay. shooting dice and cra- craps and stuff like that. It's you know it's a hustler type movie. Um, good good period detail. Uh, Dylan is really good. Tommy Lee Jones is really good. It's it's kind of an old school kind of you know hustler gangster kind of kind of story um yeah and always worked for me i, I always liked yeah. big town i remember real, that real one real men's mm-hmm. a dumb movie but i remember kind of liking it as a kid but i probably you shouldn't I, watch it anymore um yeah that's what i'm i mean about. i remember it's like I was, an alien weird police cop movie i don't know what it is well it was it was a funny trail i was a, it's I was, a weird movie i was Real, I was a big John Ritter fan sure. at the time, obviously, and he, didn't, he wasn't doing a lot of movies. Uh, yeah, I mean, Skin Deep was until 1988, um, and yeah, the, the trailer made me laugh just because there yeah. was, you know, Jim Belushi still wasn't wasn't hated yet, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so he wasn't quite there yet. So the prospect of the big get big brawny guy and the you know John Ritter playing the nebbish mm-hmm. kind of guy seemed like a funny premise. But yeah, no, it, I mean, he's got the pen from the aliens. In the movie, do you remember that? Oh, weird. He's got the he got the pen that was given. J- Jim Belushi knows knows about the existence of aliens, and he has the pen from the aliens, and he pounds it oh, through the baseball, and it turns yeah. into a UFO and flies off to the aliens. Wow. This is a real movie, Colin. I yeah, no, you, it I is. Never it seen is. this movie. Okay. No, it's, it's no, I, it's I, bad. Right, it's I know. bad. Great. Big That's Shots great. is one of those movies that I liked as a kid, and I, I, I mean, uh, it's a Chicago movie, and it's it is. it's, it's yeah. pretty yeah. bad. Uh, <laughs> it has some really weird moments. One of which I even captured and put on YouTube, where um, the brother compliments his sister on her on her amazing ass. And I always I didn't think nothing of it as a kid, but watching it, I was like, "That's really weird." Hmm. I don't know if I would How ever. Old is the sister, like sixteen, and okay. he's like thirteen. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that's appropriate of the age. I'm just curious. Like, it's just weird. Like, why would you even? It has nothing to do with anything else. Hmm. You've got a nice ass. You've got a nice ass. I do? Yeah, you do. I'm gonna cut their peckers off and put keychains on them. The peckers aren't big enough for a keychain. And what you talking about? I got me a big pecker. And a line that for some reason is stuck in my head from this movie is, uh, I can walk on water, eat bullets, and shit ice cream. I'm gonna kick your ass. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that line. So weird. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> and those Russian bad guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to use, I'm going to put your te- use your testicles as keychains. Well, the good thing is is that Russian villains will be making a comeback in the movies very shortly. Very, yes, very much so. <laughs> Wait, yeah. have they actually left? I feel like Russia is still like <laughs> one of the go-to nationalities you use for your villain. In well, I today. think we got to a point where like you couldn't do the Middle Eastern thing so much because then it just seemed like it was right. being piling on and racist. So yeah. Russians are always a good thing. Have, I'm yeah. trying to think recent movies where Russians. I just remember one year we talked about like a, what Red Dawn. No, 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 no. I mean, no, I mean, no, like no. on Nick's show, recently? like recently, yeah, where we talked about Russians. Anyway, um, <laughs> now we're talking great horror in mm-hmm. October. Uh, great the vampire great vampire movie, mm-hmm. the um, the better vampire western, the the better Lost Boys. Um, <laughs> It's yeah. basically the same kind of storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Adrian Pazdar playing a guy who you know gets uh, 
you know, has a run in with or has a a, a meet cute yeah. <laughs> with with a girl, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a little mysterious. And then you know he and she's part of a group of. They're not. I mean, they never use the word vampire in this film. That's what is interesting. Right. Is like, yes, they exhibit a lot of the same vampire traits and behaviors, but the word vampire is never used. You never see fangs. Um, but it's more just about. Uh, they're more just like this is you know Catherine Bigelow's you know big breakout. Well, not big breakout film. She did one. She did the Loveless before this one, but Near Dark was put her on the map for a lot of people might definitely me um but you know she is exploring i think the idea of human beings as animals more so than vampires <laughs> it's finger licking good hey jess i got smell like a dead pole cat and uh, I just think, scene for scene, this movie is just masterful. I mean, it is a noir film. It's a vampire film. It's a Western, like you said. Uh, that great, great scene in the bar, mm-hmm. which is like like the three or four songs play in their entirety during yeah. this yep. scene. And they're all fantastic choices mm-hmm. uh, while they just like one by one take the people out of this place. Uh, it's just great filmmaking um, from beginning to end. Great Trend, uh, uh, Tangerine Dream score yeah. in it. Can't Tangerine. go wrong with Tangerine Dream. Can't go wrong with Tangerine Dream. And they could they and pop Paxton. up in another movie from this month. And Bill Paxton. Uh, Bill so Paxton. Uh, this is where I remember first like get, be, getting like uh, impressed by with Bill Paxton. I know he was in Weird Science, and I did see it, but I didn't make a connection that that was the same person. I just didn't make didn't know that. The movie I, in between. I like him I, in this more than Aliens. Right, I know that. Too. Wow. Yeah. Um, but this was the one where he really made a real big mm-hmm. impression yeah. on me. And, and I'd seen Aliens also. I didn't watch it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in Weird Science, I'd only watched once or twice, I think. Mm. But Near Dark was the one where I was just like, who's this guy? This guy's amazing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, Anything? I mean, well, I mean, clearly the, the one of the sparks of this movie is that it was an Aliens reunion. Right. Sorts, yeah, with, for and, sure. And, and for Jeanette sure. Goldstein and, and Paxson, which I thought was just a really cool uh, thing. And then Bigelow and Cameron that hooked up not, right. <laughs> not yeah. too long after. So, uh, you know, multiple connections there. But yeah, no, this is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty. <laughs> Straightforward, and once you get to that bar scene, everything changes in that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. I mean, it's you know you, you're not quite sure where this movie's headed. Uh, the the hotel escape sequence is so wonderfully masterful. Uh, the, the way it prog- the, the progression toward to the end of the movie and this, this community that the, the these vampires again. I mean, now I'm using the word vampire, but like you said, they don't say that in the movie. Um, Always referred to as a vampire western, yeah, uh, of sorts, uh, which is another kind of trend that we're seeing here in '87. But yeah, it is. I mean, please. And it went flew please. way under the radar. I mean, it just kind of came yeah. and went. Uh, there was no real marketing for it or anything. Well, the just... thing the thing that happened was, I mean, this this is one of the movies that was released by the De Laurentiis yeah. group, uh, DEG, referred mm-hmm. to. So sort of it was kind of the Weinstein company of its time in a way. They just didn't shoot the moon. They were more canon than you know prestige pictures. And Million Dollar Mystery destroyed them. Yeah. Million Million Dollar Mystery absolutely destroyed them. So this is Near Dark was one of those movies that then was in the wake of that. So there was just no marketing, you know, opportunity. And you know, any movie that you can market 
the cast from Aliens in. It seemed like that you got a hook right there, and a vampire story to boot, and a western. You got all kinds of things you can market it with, but they they had no, they had nothing. Mm-hmm. So the, this this studio was dying, and Near Dark kind of became the casual one of the casualties of that. Yeah. And if it wasn't for this is one of those films where if it weren't for the great reviews, I probably would have skipped skipped it. Mm-hmm. I didn't it see it until just... after Point Break. I want to mm. say it took, wow. me a while. it took me a while That's, to get to it. Took, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I also love Three O'clock High, which again, inventive camera work can go a long way because that movie has lots of after hours that, style to it. That is a movie where I say. It's not a good movie, but I like it. Yes, I can say <laughs> that's that an too. Interesting I can say because, that too. Because I can say that too. I the reason I like it is for that reason mm-hmm. you just said, and I remember when I saw it being like I it completely shattered my expectations of what it was because when I saw the trailer, I was like, "This looks kind of dumb," but and I rented it and uh, was like, "Wow, this guy's really." doing some fun stuff with the camera this is for really sure. fun to watch and just watching it again and again and again just for that reason um, and it's Phil Joano it's his first film and I just when I watch it now I just think this is kind of charming for you know to, to see a, you know a young director make a movie like this take a teen comedy and make it cinematic as cinematic as possible yeah and trying like he he clearly watched after hours a hundred times before making this mm-hmm. film and just wanted to try every trick in the book and there's you know that that's charming to me to do that yeah and it's got it. some interesting supporting players in it if you watch it now like Phil Baker Hall yeah. Jeffrey Tambor Mitch Pileggi, right. John P. Ryan, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but I don't think it's a good movie. I I think it's a kind of a it's kind of a empty storyline. It's style it's, over substance. It's definitely and because if it wasn't for the style, like I definitely would not have watched it repeatedly. Like you know, because I just think, first of all, there's no high school in the world that exists like that. They would um, not let that fight go on as long as it does. And no, and no kid is going to go up to a school store and like say, here, take a dollar for a piece of paper, please. And like this whole, it's a wonderful <laughs> life. It's just Be- ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> but I still like the movie, even though it's, I know it's not so good. dumb at the end. <laughs> I, That's a dumb ending. I, I, well, I will grant you the, the ending of the movie yeah. is dollar sheet. Great. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I agree. The, <laughs> the way they the save him. That uh, well, that's hand. a little creepy. Uh, that's a little creepy too. Yeah. yeah. But I, I love this movie. <laughs> I, 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 I disagree with the fact that it's not a good movie. Uh, because whether it be the, the the style that makes it a great movie or the the energy, I mean, it's an incredibly energetic movie that even goes beyond the, the camera work. Other movie, I think mm-hmm. it, it's a it's a rapid fire paced movie. Uh, the, everything that he Casey Shimashko does to get out of this fight in in the movie, every possible angle that he explores, including de- debasing his own moral standing, you know, in the course of a you know basically six that hour day. That school supply store, and, and he still steals the money, and yeah, then he yeah. steals the, you know he does all that kind of stuff, and, and trying to escape from school, trying to reason with him, trying to uh, to help him out, all all these things. Uh, and and then I think the fight is great too. Even though, admittedly, he gets a lot of help during the fight. he gets yeah. a lot of help during the fight. Uh, and the, but then the knuckles. Well, the knuckles is what is, you know that that keys it in. But um, it's it's about eight hundred times better than Fist Fight. That's okay. out in theaters right now. Which okay. a, a movie that you didn't see Fist Fight. Good no. for you. No. Um, it's it's a movie that actually 
takes a lot of cues from Three O'Clock High. His name is Jerry Mitchell. Hi, Jerry. 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 Hi, I'm I'm Jerry Mitchell. I'm with the school paper. He just met the new kid in school. The guy's the closest thing to Charlie Manson ever seen at Weaver. Now we're gonna have a fight today after school. He's got six hours to get out of it. It's been quite a morning, Jerry. You say that again. He'll try running. I wouldn't leave school without a good reason. He'll try bribery. If I can get that money, do you think you'd do it for me? Ravel will never bother you again. Guaranteed. He'll try robbery. You're giving Jerry Mitchell a hard time, man. Until finally... The fight is on. You and me in the parking lot. Three, three o'clock. o'clock high. I always love this movie. I will it's in say, my top 20. I will say... Um, <laughs> there I you like go. it that much. There you go. I will say I like... I think my favorite performance in the movie is uh, Richard Tyson. I think he's great. Mm-hmm. That's a, oh, it's yeah. a really good performance. Yeah. Uh, I don't like knowing people. And yeah. I don't like people knowing about me. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think a really terrific rock and roll documentary, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll, which is Taylor Hackford's Chuck Berry movie. I should see that. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's, been on my it's a good list rock and roll concert film documentary but, you know, about Chuck Berry. And, you know, it's got... Keith Richards and I think Eric Clapton and a bunch of other rock and roll heavyweights yeah. uh, playing a show mm-hmm. with him. Uh, really, really good. Really good. You know what else is really good? Mm. Hope and Glory. Hope and Glory is great. It is a masterpiece. Um, really one of my favorite movies of this year. And uh, this was the, this and another movie we're going to be talking about. Uh, mm, I wonder what that can be. That has the similar theme. But this is um, actually. I think we should maybe hold off on talking about this until we talk about the other one. Yeah. Well, this, this, but is it going to be a versus? It's going to be a versus. Is a pretty good date. It is a really good date. Yeah. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom night two. That's exactly where I'm going. <laughs> because it's great. It actually is really good. I snuck into that one. Yeah. Uh, I all it's, I remember it's, was it's, it's a Carrie remake, but it's it's yeah. fun. All it's I remember fun. was a shower scene, and you know That's, what I'm talking about. I know exactly yes. what you're talking about. I'm going to watch it right now. That's a great scene. Um. That's all I remember from yeah, that. This is takes, a good, this takes is, off that towel and yep. don't get in that locker. Yep. This is a good weekend for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got Barfly. Yep. With uh, Mickey Rourke as a... Is he, is he playing Charles Bukowski or is this a surrogate Charles Bukowski? Sur- I don't remember. Yeah, okay. I want to yeah. say it's more of it's a surrogate. very based on Bukowski. But right. He's not, I don't think he does, he's not called Bukowski okay. in the film. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, him and Faye Dunaway. Great farts. He farts a lot in this movie, and I don't it's remember great. the farts. Why don't mm. I remember the farts? I don't know. He farts in front of Faye Dunaway. And I just remember really... all the, the the wounds on his face yeah. throughout the movie. I mean, he's always getting his ass beat. And in, in the here's movie. to all my friends. Well, the first thing I remembered about you were your legs. <laughs> That's yep. Um, and Frank Stallone's in it. Oh right, Frank Stallone's mm-hmm. the bartender. And then uh, one of the best films of the year, House of Games. Yes. David Mamet. Another great David Mamet, uh, although this is his directorial debut. A sucker born every minute, huh? And two to take him. A woman of one world. You want to see how a true bad man plies his trade? Yes. Seduced by the thrill of another. We're about to sting this guy. I'll do it with you, please. Discovering that danger is the ultimate high. What is life without adventure? A man who offers you his trust. You've got to tell. A tell? You're telling me the hand that has the coin. You want to know a tell? His confidence. You watch this guy and tell me. Does he play with his gold ring? 
and takes you. Do you want to make love with me? For everything you've got. The game. In or out. Rule one. Don't volunteer anything. Secrecy. And I wonder how you guys feel about this. Mm-hmm. The lead actress. Lindsay Krause. Yeah, her, uh, his wife. Do you White. think that she's good in the movie? I mean, I think there's to compliment... Yeah. There's a, I think if, when you watch the movie, because she's... She'd been in stuff prior to that, and she's been in stuff mm-hmm. after it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like maybe not the best marriage of her and Mammoth's Dentania. dialogue, yeah, yeah, kind of thing. Um, I, but 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 that character is there's supposed to be a stiffness to that character. There is supposed to be a clinical stiffness to that character mm-hmm. and uh, a coldness that then begins to thaw into something more sinister. But even when she's film. shooting him at the end, she just kind of says it in a very robotic unemotional detached kind of yeah but way. i think but i think but maybe that's kind of the point of because the i mean the, the evil within her is coming from within and uh, I, I mean i think that like those i think she's better in those later scenes than she is in the scenes where she's supposed to be the the actual the clinical psychiatrist yeah. kind of thing and um, Tell me how I can help you. Tell the, me how I can help you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the scenes with you know, obviously there's many of them with with Mantania, the the two of them. Yeah, no, the, you know, the, the, absolutely. And Mantania is freaking phenomenal. Oh my god, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, phenomenal. One of my favorite parts he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, I, I I love it, and mm-hmm. um, I, I you see what you mean about Lindsay Krause, and it's it is kind of a a strangely mannered performance. I don't know what I can't really put my finger on it either. I think maybe part of it is you know Mamet is you know comes from theater, and maybe he's directing her the way a stage director would direct an actress to play to the back of the room. Um, not that I mean, just her 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 speaking style is very um just it's so unusual it's so it odd. is unusual it's so it's hard to put, you have to adjust to it yeah while and you're watching it. i think i i want to believe it's a stylistic choice on the right. part of the actor and the director and not it's not bad acting <laughs> because the movie is so sophisticated and mm-hmm. so strong in every other area um i know and that's that, like that's the only it, thing that i'm not saying it's bad but it's it's yeah. not something that I mean in, in in comparison to everything else about the movie, and it's easily one of the best con men movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mammoth's script is impeccable. I think I like Homicide just a little bit more because it's really freaking dark. Yeah, I'm not. I I, I mean I like Homicide. I don't like it nearly as much as as House of Games. Uh, Lindsay Krauss, by the way, also in All the President's Men. So if you go back mm-hmm. and watch. Um, she plays the uh, woman in works in the office whose yeah. boyfriend has might have some information, and they kind of you know like well, you know she ends up giving them the information. And, kind and she of, was in the verdict too, which Mamet wrote. I think she was, uh, or no, maybe I'm thinking of uh, somebody else. That is it. No, I'm thinking of Charlotte Rampling. I think. Well, yeah, that's that's, that's yeah, that's definitely not Lindsay Kress. Um <laughs> She is in the verdict. She oh, okay. Yeah, she is. She is in the verdict, uh, but not the Charlotte Rampling character. Right. Uh, no, House of Games again. A, a movie that I mean, even even the trailer was like really like stylish and noirish and kind of like, wow, that looks like a cool movie. 
And then Siskel and Ebert raved the hell out of that movie. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, was that was Ebert's number one. one. It was Ebert's number one. It For wasn't. Sure. It wasn't Siskel's. I know that. Okay. It was. Um, and I remember their quote on the posters. One of my favorite Siskel and Ebert quotes was, "Our only argument was who liked it more." That's very. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that too. And, <laughs> and Ebert won that argument. What was the last uh, time you saw one. the movie House of uh, Games? A few years ago. Yeah. Ago. Yeah. yeah. Came out I'm, Criterion. I'm curious because. You watch it now, and you know the layers of the, the con that's going on in the movie. And I, I wonder if people find it easy. Like people who haven't experienced it before will find it a lot easier and a lot like, like really, you didn't see that coming, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, especially the fact that Mammoth has done things since then that have called back to some very of his much so. and turns to to House of Games. I mean, that is where it all began from. You know, cinematically at least. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it's it's an incredibly it's a cool movie. It's the it's best cool of those movie. con men movies. I mean, uh, but, but like something like yeah. something like Heist is like way. I mean, it's totally Heist it's is, minor mammoth, but it's it, it's better. Than, I, I think I, I think Heist it's better than that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, Heist is incredibly fun. Yeah, that it's got a great cast. Spanish prisoner plays does a couple tricks like that. Even yeah. Stephen State in Maine does a couple, and even tricks and like even that. Red Bell has a like a Spartan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, I guess yeah. that's just his thing. He wants he, that twist, but it always has to work. Yeah, he does it. But but the House of Games is that. Is, yeah, that's the thing right there. So do I have to pr- defend so. Prince of Darkness? Sure. Yes. Oh come on! You do. I have nothing to say. What? What? Oh, that's. Sad. I have stuff to say, but you can. I know you don't it. like it very <laughs> much. No. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just think it's it's again it's almost uh, a culmination of John Carpenter's strengths. I think. Right. I mean, it's like a mishmash movie of all of his other movies in a way, but I just find it endlessly creepy, and just the, the freaking uh, television thing for no, it's the uh, the dream the dream transmissions yeah. from the future. That is. Oh man, it just it sends shivers down my spine. It's creepy for you, even though the movie just stops dead once they're trying to get Dennis Dunn out of a room. That the that's... movie just to me the movie the movie there is a creepy vibe. It to has the film. a weird pacing to it that I just it's, well yeah I mean it's it's this huge room of psychiatrists not psychiatrists but the uh, students and and whatnot and it's a, so it's a huge room of people so you're just waiting for all of them to get knocked off which is I'm a fan of I'm a fan yeah, of yeah, those yeah. type of movies. And and it starts off the, the creepiness and it's it's really stupid and ridiculous and you know the Satan is the liquid you know <laughs> I mean, it's why just not like, it, right like sure okay fine I like um, the parallel universe element too where it gives like a phantasm quality at the end with the little like reaching into the light onto the there, other there's side something, there's something to that but the movie does stop dead once Dennis Dunn gets trapped in a room <laughs> and you want to talk about misogyny you want to talk about you know, Dennis Dunn is a really horrible person in that movie which is was really disappointing uh, yeah, coming uh, after Big Trouble in Little China because yeah, he tells him he's yeah, just a bad I, person in that film uh, but, you're, but you're supposed to like him too so I don't know when, they, when he when they, like they're just trying to get through the wall and everyone is like I'm like this movie just stopped and I've mm-hmm. watched this movie countless times. I've watched it with the commentary track. I I I can never get on. I've never gotten on board with this film. Hmm. Um, Disagree, but that's okay. <laughs> so I what else is what the is, o- I, the only version of the Glass Menagerie I've ever seen is the film with uh, Karen Allen and John Malkovich, directed by Paul Newman. Pretty good. Uh, we talked about Fatal Beauty already. Let's talk about the hidden. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yes, yeah. The Directed first by the guy who did f- part two. 
Oh, Freddy's Revenge. Freddy, uh, yeah, no, 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 he did, um, yeah, Freddy's Revenge. Jack Shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The first film I watched this year, I'm keeping track of all the (laughs) films that I watched in 2017. My first one on New Year's Day morning, The Hidden. And what a great movie. Oh, my Lord. What a great movie. It's perfect. Um, So much fun. Didn't we ever talk about this at some point? I feel like because we brought up how it doesn't get a proper release. Maybe, but I mean, it's... it's I thought so. Basically, it's the Terminator meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And yeah. And it's such a fun premise, and Kyle MacLachlan makes is the perfect person to play the alien. He's just... This is pre-Twin Peaks. Pre-Twin Peaks, post-Blue Velvet, mm-hmm. and just uh, wonderfully, like, charming... Um, Michael Nury, maybe not the greatest actor, maybe not the greatest choice for the he's role, the but, but it's he's a weak part of the film. But it's um, it's still there's so much fun and craziness and uh, mayhem happening around him that it just you don't really notice notice it's a weak performance. But best um, of the body jumping, evil body jumper kind of movies where yeah, yeah, yeah. you had your shocker and your fallen and yeah, I mean just great car chases and yeah. shootouts and just. Oh, the bullets just fly oh, the bullets, in this movie. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> yeah. much fun. It is, it, is, it is a chase movie. But then, you know, the the, the, the Kyle MacLachlan stuff, the, the his need for the family stuff. Is, yeah. there, there's, so there's you know, a little little bit of a beating heart. Though yeah. They shoot it out. But, yeah, um, uh, yeah no, I've... I remember the week... There, there was a, You want to talk about a great week of video rentals? And I remember this is another... Uh, probably maybe it was an 88 memory. But a uh, great week of video rentals, same week. Interspace, Princess Bride, The Hidden. Wow. Oh, I had all three of those in my hand. Yep. <laughs> and I had seen Interspace in the theater, but I hadn't seen Princess Bride and the, mm-hmm. the Hidden, and that was that was a good week. And The Hidden, yeah, yeah. I love The Hidden to this day. Yeah. I, the, you tell me we talk about Predator, the Alien, and Terminator. Rambo, and yeah. this is Terminator and Body Snatchers, uh, two of my favorites right there. That yeah, just, can't that go wrong. Perfect blend right there. And unfortunately... And you touched upon this, Jim, just a second, but uh, it really hasn't like enjoyed enough of a resurgence in popularity. As you know, still I mean, not on Blu-ray. I, I still feel not on like Blu-ray. Not Scream Factory or Arrow or one of those Scream has got Factory's to get on. has got to do it. Yeah, yeah. they've got to do it. So um, I'll write them a letter. <laughs> yeah. So we're moving on to November now, and um, I already mentioned Manon of the Spring. Less than zero is a movie that. Is I not very. It. It's not very good, and I mean, it's it's. Ebert loved. Ebert it. was the sole defender of this film, and I'm not sure why, but I think, I mean, when you watch it today, especially when we know what we know about Robert Downey Jr. and his past and everything, it's very. Mm-hmm. It's it is kind of unsettling to watch. He is the best thing about the film, but there's sure. also when you watch it, there's something like you feel, you do feel like you're you're not watching a performance. You're watching the real thing. Um. The the main the two main things that bring down this movie for me are Andrew McCarthy and Jamie Gertz. Yeah, uh, both. I mean McCarthy especially very miscast, and uh, it's it's you know it's a it's a bummer. <laughs> it's a, it's it's a total bummer of a film. But it's just it it could have been a great film, and I you know. With all due respect to Roger, he he was he was not right about this one. No. I'm not um, a big breast, Brett Easton Ellis guy. No, me neither. Well, me neither. American, American Psycho, yeah, yeah. But, that, but that's yeah. more for Mary Harris. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, what else is there? I don't want to talk about Hiding Out. Good. We will just God. skip over. It. <laughs> we'll skip that terrible. one. Yeah. I watched this morning. I watched uh, Made in Heaven, which is um, Alan Rudolph. Alan Rudolph. 
was oh. a director who was like he was kind of a an art house darling at the time. He had like two like adult thriller dramas, whatever they were, like Choose Me and Trouble in Mind. Yeah, Trouble in Mind's weird but really yeah. interesting. And then he came out, and then this Made in Heaven is like this very Capra esque, like modern day Capra esque film about angels uh, who need hmm. to find each other on Earth. Uh, before uh, uh, Timothy Hutton and Kelly McGillis are the two leads, and Timothy Hutton has to find her before he turns thirty, or he'll never find her. <gasps> and it's it's kind of like always, it's like that kind of film. And it's the weirdest thing about the film is the casting of of, of God, who also goes mm-hmm. by the name of Emmett. Uh, mm-hmm. Deborah Winger plays this sort of androgynous, <laughs> like almost like. Uh, uh, um, Who's what's her name from the Arithmics? No, Arithmics. What's her name? Uh, uh, Annie Lennox. Annie Lennox is this kind of Annie Lennox hairdo. Uh, wears a suit. Her voice is even darker, uh, deeper, and more gravelly uh, in this e. role than ET. <laughs> yeah, and she's playing this. And she's playing the overseer of this whole thing. Hmm. But you're dead. So are you, kiddo? Welcome to heaven. This is a wonderful adventure. angels with wings and they played harps on clouds <laughs> we have them they're old guard but well, not bad like i kind of like it it's it's that kind of like has that 80s sincerity it's okay. very romantic um you know uh but it's uh it's an interesting odd little film that i kind of like i've always <laughs> been curious to revisit this one yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to do it in many years i think it's also not one that's available it's readily. on it's on amazon, and amazon I, I streamed okay. it on amazon um but the, the the two things that i remember liking about the movie one is the deborah winger thing i always thought that that was just a weird a, a very curious representation yeah. of god i thought that was kind of cool and the the scenes that are actually set in heaven i thought that mm-hmm. those scenes uh were, were kind of an interesting visualization of what heaven might be like and I when when the the main plot kicked in when they're back on earth I was not as interested it's, in that stuff it's not as interesting yeah it's true but I, uh, I like movies where the, the fantastical heaven story like obviously uh, Warren Beatty uh, the, the, heaven can wait yes heaven yeah. can wait is great mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I even like heart and souls that dumb movie with the <laughs> angels yeah Robert Downey Jr. It's a showcase for Downey yeah, to do his yeah. comic sensibilities. I kind of like not it. A, it's, it's no, no, no yeah. it's, it's it's pretty lame, but I'd I still rather, like I'd it. I'd watch Ghost Town with Ricky Gervais. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a much right. better movie. Yeah, that was all right. Yeah. Um, do you want to say something about the Running Man? Yes. Okay. I would like to say something about the Running Man. Okay. Uh, for one, we're living in it. Yeah, oh, I know uh, that. It's 2017, yes. yes. And we are living in it. Uh, we're not that far away, I don't yep. think. Um, the opening scroll of the film is the year terrifying. 2017. And it's... Oh, <laughs> you're right. It's it not is. good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're living in a, a world where a game show, essentially, which is what we have, is, is you mm-hmm. know, is has taken over. Game show, reality show, however you want to define it, uh, has kind of taken over. Nightmare. Um, yeah, well, the thing the, the thing that's interesting about the Running Man because I read the book, uh, which yeah, was a, it was a Stephen King book under the Richard, Richard Bachman, Bachman style, and they're they're wild, they're completely different in yes, the book, much like the Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yes, oh god, very they, different. They don't even that doesn't even count really. Uh, but the Running Man the, in the book, the the premise, I mean, it's a game show. It is poverty stricken. Ben Richards has a family, can't afford to feed him, so he goes on this game show called The Running Man. That the premise is, it's there's a TV show now, 
that is basically the running man, uh, either on Fox or ABC, where you have to outrun the FBI. You have to try to to limit your exposure to the world so you can't be tracked. And the premise of the movie, or well, the, that's of the, kind of interesting, right? And the premise, <laughs> and here we are again. We're living in in it. Uh, the premise of the book was that he had to Ben Richards had to stay off the radar. There were there were hunters like there are in the movie. And what he had to do was he had to, like, videotape himself and send in videotapes of himself hmm. to give them sort of a, had a little clue to where they might be able to get him. Now, of course, the twist in the book was that every time he would send a package off, return address. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of easy to, you know... Sure, and, sure. And then he ends up flying a plane into the studio and blowing everybody up. So, But that's the, you know... But I, uh, The Running Man, uh, is, I, I like the premise of the movie. I think Richard Dawson is great. Oh, yeah. In the movie. Um, it, it's, you know, there's cheesy stuff in it, and the, the villains, you know, I, I kind of knock Dream Warriors for the... that the Kind of the same kind of thing. That, like, they set up these kind of very fun villains... Uh, and then just kind of knock him off kind of pretty easily. Yeah. Particularly Jim Brown, who just kind of shows up and gets barbecued right away. Um, but yeah, I've always I've always liked the premise of this movie, I, you know, and uh, it's one of, you know, I think Schwarzenegger had a good year in 87. Predator and Running Man. Sure. And I remember, the, it was the same week I saw Fatal Attraction with my dad. And while we were seeing those two movies on separate nights, uh, my the rest of the women in my family were seeing Cinderella, which had been re-released. Hmm. At the time when Disney was doing those re-releases. Oh, right, 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 yeah. So they, they went and saw, took my sister to see Cinderella one time, and then the other time they took my grandma to see Cinderella time. My dad and I saw Fatal Attraction and The Running Man. I was, oh, I, I, I love the... Uh, I yeah. was 12. That's something to think about, too, is like when your parents would drop you off, you'd see one movie and they'd see something yeah. different. Those are special. I mean, I, I, I've, again, a fondness for that, obviously, because yeah. seeing those movies, those R-rated movies with my dad, and, and, and they're weeknight movies, too. Mm-hmm. We like, they're, we, you know, not weekend, you know, just like went to school. Hey, we're going to see The Running Man tonight. One of the biggest laughs I had in the entire series of Six Feet Under involves that very same thing where two people go to see two different movies. Yeah. Um, Ruth wants to see Murder by Numbers because Sandra Bullock is in it. Okay, and then um, oh, the the Russian guy um, yeah, that yeah, she's yeah. dating. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't remember his name, but he decided he's like, no, 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 no. I want to see Blade Two. <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, no, I love. Yeah, the running a good double feature would be the Running Man and a very underrated movie. I think you also championed uh, around the same time. Series Seven. Series Seven. I saw yeah. where exactly where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah I like that movie too. Mm-hmm. So the Running Man has some parallels to today, and one of the big movies of 1987, which would go on to win Best Picture, also has some parallels. Oh yeah, and that's Bernardo Bertolucci's The Last Emperor, um, which I like very much. I I think it's a great film, and you just long, watch it. But yeah. you watch it today, and you think about the storyline. It's about a kid. It's about a guy who's who was born into privilege. Surrounded by people who are there to clean up after him, to worship him, and he's kind of closed off from the outside world. Um, and then when he gets older, he ventures out of the outside world. He becomes a playboy, and then he decides he wants to be a real emperor. He's been an emperor in the Forbidden City all his life, but that's not, it's more of a stage thing than anything else. He decides he wants to be a real ruler, and so he becomes ruler of China, but he's not really taken very seriously as this ruler because a lot of people believe he's been sort of 
installed into this position by a a a uh, by you know uh, uh, Russians, not Russians, oh. but the Japanese. Oh man, um, I had to go there. And uh, it starts to slowly sink in that he's not being taken seriously as a ruler. So he starts to align himself with this other country uh, so that they can become allies. Does this sound familiar? I kind of yeah. watch this movie right now. It's, yeah, you probably it's such. I, I, this is one of my very favorite films of the year. And um, I love just, I think, the, the uh, even on a technical level, it's, it's stunning to look at. Yeah, great. The way they recreate everything. I mean, I know they filmed it at the Forbidden City, but. You know, without the aid of CGI, you know, they had hundreds and hundreds of people in those big wide vistas all aligned and, you know, bowing to the to mm-hmm. the emperor. And it's this great life story. I mean, yeah, you said it's long. It's two hours and 45 minutes. But you really get the sense of a real fascinating life. Oh, yeah. To go from the emperor of all you survey to being this playboy, to being a ruler, to being a prisoner, and then a gardener, this ordinary citizen, uh, you you know, you just feel like you're watching a history lesson, like like the kind of which I've never seen before. Yeah. Um, Certainly less stylish than something like Mishima, which came out a couple of years beforehand. Yeah. But it's it's still really compelling to I mean, watch yeah. this character go through what he goes through yeah and this was my introduction to bertolucci i've never seen still his best film i would say oh i i think so i don't think he's done a whole Um, lot that i liked but uh but uh you know and a a phenomenal score by david byrne and Mm -hmm. uh ryuichi sakamoto and and one guy who only did one piece of music for the film but he still has an academy award (laughs) uh the movie won this movie pretty much swept academy awards it it pretty much won every category um it wasn't my number one film of the year but i i i'm okay with the academy choosing this for best picture definitely um it's so yeah i i i highly recommend it and it is more relevant today yeah, it's, than it's kind of eerie how yeah, yeah it reflects what's going on right now yeah. this is one of those movies i wish i had time to catch up on recently because i don't think i've seen it since the 80s honestly all right well here, here you go, go. There you there go. go. Will, enjoy I will, yes i will watch this <laughs> I'll, I'll take in the mood too okay <laughs> there you go because i've never seen it I should. okay um so anyway moving on uh rest of november Prince had a great concert film, the best Prince film, Sign of the Times. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Absolutely. I mean, if you really want to celebrate the music and life of Prince, don't go to Purple Rain, although go to the album Purple Rain. But the movie you should go to is Sign of the Times. Um, yeah. I watched it. Oh, yeah. I watched it last year after his death, and it is... is are they re-releasing it now? Uh, that's that's the problem. They should. Wait, yeah. isn't it in the Prince collection? No. No, that's under the Cherry Moon and Graffiti Bridge. Right. Yeah. Those are the three Warner Brothers. This was the one that he did uh, on his own, with his own money, and uh, a lot of it... It's a concert film. Uh, a lot of it, though, is... Uh, the show he basically he he filmed part of a big chunk of the concert at an actual concert hall and wasn't really satisfied with the footage and everything mm-hmm. so he basically recreated the stage in his own home and invited people to come in and so he could like shoot yeah. it the way he wanted to shoot it so uh it's very very prince like to do something like that very grandiose um but i mean just the best representation of his energy his For music sure. his everything uh it's so great great album too yep 
I got to find a new adjective. I keep saying great, but this is a great year. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles was one of my first memories too of the video store. Of like, it's always out. It's always out. When am I going to get to see this damn movie? And then, of course, I'm standing there, and somebody returns a copy that second that I'm hanging out, and of course, I grab it right off the shelf before they even put it back on the you know the, the actual shelf where the the movie cover is, mm-hmm. where they just like put a little pile of this is what just came in recently. So it was a big triumphant moment for my life of finally getting to see this damn movie that I got I've wanted to see for so long and just never saw it in a theater or anything. Taxi! Some get delayed. And some get <laughs> Del Griffin. American Light and Fixture, Director of Sales, Shower Curtain Ring Division. Neil Page got all three. I was on my way home to spend a nice holiday with my family. Instead, I'm in a motel bed with a stranger. So instead of Thanksgiving with his family, he's spending three days with the turkey. Two happy clams just whistling down the road. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, and the Martoni family. Paramount Pictures presents... I, I unabashedly love this movie, really. I mean, even if... Say what you will about including that Paul Young song with them walking down the street. It's it still brings tears to my eyes. I, I'm very moved by this movie at the very end because we've been with these 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 characters for so long, and they have great chemistry together, and they build this really believable relationship that is has a lot of friction, especially early on. But I don't know, man. I think this I, I, this might be my favorite John Candy performance. Oh, I definitely is mine. Yeah. Um. And it's like, and I love the casting choice of putting Steve Martin in the straight guy role. Agreed. Really, one of his best performances too. Yeah. Uh, no, this yeah, is yeah, my. Yeah. This is a, a one of John Hughes' very best films. Hundred um, percent. Agreed. Yeah. I saw this movie at the local library. Wow. Uh, they there was uh, every, every once in a while they were doing these like screen. They would just do free screenings. Uh, I didn't see it. It was like after it came out on video, basically. Did they cut out the airports? The, no. Wow. Oh, no, 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 no. At a there library. Was, no, 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 no. Um, and there's another one that we'll be getting to that I also saw at the library for a second time. But, uh, yeah, and it was weird, too, because obviously it's an R-rated film, and yeah. they just let anyone <laughs> in, I guess. Probably just R-rated um, for that scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah, to- yeah totally. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It shows you how stupid the rating system can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my favorite John Hughes movie. Un, un, unquestionable. Mm-hmm. I think that I think it's so. It's it's it's, it's yeah. the funniest. Uh, it, it's uh, all all the way to the end. You know, Hughes clearly had that pattern of including some sort of realness into his movies. That there was always a, some sort of problem or some, some sort of psychological issue that had to be resolved by the end of the movie. And the, the end of this movie to me is heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking mm-hmm. uh, in, in in a great beautiful way. But. Uh, from the moment they say goodbye by the train station, they hug each other after these three days of nuttiness and at each other's throats. The conversation in the hotel room where they're drinking and they get drunk and oh, they're talking about so their wives is, is really beautifully done. And the, the the whole montage of him on the train remembering the goofy stuff that they went to and then piecing together the, the stuff and the music in the background. And then him, again, another, some kind of wonderful, running out of the train and mm-hmm. going there. And the candy sitting there like nowhere to go. He is sitting there and 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 has no he has to reveal this stuff and the the shot of them walking together with the trunk hand in hand to me is one of the one of my favorite images yeah you know so I this isn't this is in my top ten list spoiler alert <laughs> no it's it's in my top twenty for yeah. sure yeah um, 
<clears throat> so I'm just going to mention the highest grossing film of the year also came out this day was uh, Three Men and a Baby, which I watched last night because I figured, <gasps> well, I thought like, well, one of us should rewatch it. It's the highest grossing film of the year in this it. great year. So one of us I've should. I've seen it enough that I could talk about it, too. But yeah, I, I, I haven't seen it since it came out. And yeah. it's it's fine. It's like not great at all um Mm -hmm. i think the lead actors are fine but when you watch it today like the opening credits you just start to put it together it's like so this is a it's this montage sequence introducing us to the three characters and how they're all womanizers. They're all getting laid. Yeah, this is like <laughs> so. This is some comedy about three predatorial date rapists <laughs> who paint a mural of themselves in the apartments. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all going for you. Far. It's like a but no, it's not that actually. But no. it's 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 cute enough. You know, it's, I, it's slight it's, and not unwatchable or anything. It's got a stupid plot involving drug dealers. Um, oh, yeah. They put the drugs in the diaper. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's that. like. Well, it comes as a package first. And remember, that's the mix up is that mm-hmm. they think it's the baby right. is the package. But it's really the, the uh, movie producer that is sending drugs to Ted Danson and it comes yeah. and, and it's, like, it's it's so stupid it's like the neighbor's like oh yes and this this package was just dropped off yeah. she actually says the word this package was dropped off when he's got the baby and whatnot yeah. no yeah. cute I mean it's cute yeah. and this is we're cute in, and we're, slight we're in this the begin, probably at the, the beginning of this period where Hollywood decided they were going to remake a lot of French comedies right you know the Francis Weber. Francis Weber do this one. Fra- this, this is based on a French it's film a French called film. Three Men in a Cradle, which right. is awful. Yeah, huh. and was yeah. nominated for best foreign film. Was it not? It was not, but well, it, I, I don't weird. think so. But it was like France's highest grossing yes. comedy at the okay. time. That was okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, the drug dealers. I think the stuff with them, the the goofy stuff with the baby, is fine. Yeah, it's cute enough, and and sometimes really funny. Uh, maybe not really funny, but funny. Um, but then the drug dealer stuff is absolutely yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous to include that as and take up about at least a third of your movie. Uh, but then you know the, the, them taking the baby pictures underwater and stuff. It's cute, yeah. and the ending is cute and, and stuff. It's cute. yeah. But what about yeah. the ghost? Oh uh, right, <laughs> yeah. No, someone had to bring it up. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> the the cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I yeah. know. Oh, by the way, my, the name of my new album is called Drugs in the Diaper. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> okay. Um, and then one movie I caught up with again over before, uh, on the same day I watched The Hidden, my second film of the year. <laughs> After I watched The Hidden, I watched uh, a movie called Housekeeping with Christine Lottie. I've been, and I couldn't find that. It's on Amazon. I had to oh. get it on Amazon. Um, oh. And uh, it's it's a good movie. It's a, it's a It's sort of like, uh, like a Grey Garden's origin story. In a way, <laughs> that, that's kind of how I. Good way to describe oh, it. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. Okay. A woman, a, a, a teenage girl, and her sister. They go to live with their eccentric aunt, who is a kind of a hoarder and very, just kind of erratic and doesn't really have a grip on reality. And um, and the one daughter, what what the this one sister wants to be more normal. She starts dressing more normal, hanging out with normal people, but the other. Uh, girl starts getting more like the ant, and then until the, it's just the two of them, and um, so yeah, it's it's a good movie. It, it holds up really well. It's a little slow, but it's um, 
you know, Bill Forsyth directed it. He was one of one of these quirky indie directors at the time that was making these kinds of films, um, and uh, didn't didn't do very well. I think Lottie was nominated. It's possible. I think she was too. Um, yeah. And uh, so it's a good movie. It's worth worth checking out. So then we move into December. Um, hmm. And uh, the first thing I see here, uh, Throw Mama from the Train. Mm-hmm. Really funny, dark comedy from Danny DeVito. With yeah, Billy there's Crystal. there's some big there's some big laughs in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ramsey nominated for supporting actress, That's which right. is like great, yeah. funny performance from her as the mama. I'm not a killer. You don't have to blow her brains out or anything. Thank you. That takes the pressure right off. She's old. She's got a bad ticker. All you gotta do is jerk around a lot when you talk to her. Nice to meet you, Mrs. Lifts. Aaron, what the hell's going on out there? We woke her up. Nothing, Mama. Who's this? This is Cousin Patty. He's gonna be staying with us for a while. Isn't that nice? You don't have a Cousin Patty. You lied to me. Just be the worst <laughs> mom you could imagine having. Um, a lot of fun. The night camera was work. humid. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. A lot of fun. Barry Sonnenfeld camera work in this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, taking after Raising Arizona and stuff like that. This was De- DeVito's directorial debut and theatrical deal. Theatrical, well, theatrical. You're the right. ratings game was a right. cable movie that he directed. That's right. Um, but this was, you know, he's clearly wanted to do fun stuff with the camera it's clearly you know influenced by you know Coen Brothers and After Hours and stuff oh, for like sure. that and it's a warm up for War of the Roses it's yeah just, I mean you can clearly see the parallels between the, the, the two yeah. movies and his style the uh, dark comedy yes yeah. approach yeah mm-hmm. for sure it's it's got yeah yeah it's I, a, I enjoyed it for a moment from the train yeah mm-hmm. it's fun it's yeah fun. Wall Street mm, I watched fine. it last night I'm kind of bored. I got it's kind fine. of bored with Maybe it. Maybe you should read the book. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's got the novelization there. Green uh, is good, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't it, know. Just doesn't. Just, I just don't. Didn't really care. It's you know. I mean, that, that was again. You we're talking about the themes of directors that were in their element. I mean, you mentioned Platoon, obviously, and Wall Street, and this is a, a period of Oliver Stone uh, was really becoming a thing. And you know, Wall Street is one of the. B titles from this and I, this is a period where I was a huge Oliver Stone fan mm-hmm. and I like I like Wall Street it it's it, it doesn't hold up as a really as a plot I mean the, the plot is very basic but I think that its overall messages still resonate yeah. today and not that it's you know was saying anything that we didn't learn in the next 30 years mm-hmm. but uh but D- but douglas is really good uh i think both both sheens are, are, are good in the film um <laughs> standard story what what i just thought of the hot shots part do joke where they're both <laughs> both loved you yeah, in wall street yeah yeah, 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 yeah great funny. joke great joke um yeah and i don't really say, i mean i like the sequel too i think the, the wall street wow you're the one dies. what no there are more people oh, okay. than me oh, i like just, the sequel uh-huh. Money never sleeps, apparently. Yeah, well, it doesn't. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> don't wake it up. Mm. It doesn't sleep. Maybe I just don't care about that world. Like, yeah, so much of the dialogue. Like, when I was watching it yeah. last night, I'm like, so much is going over my head. I don't yeah, really maybe know everything of what they're talking about. I still can never get a grip on that stuff. Maybe, okay, maybe that, that's why I respond to it a little problem. bit more. Yeah, you like numbers. I like numbers and sure, money sure. and stuff like that. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I yeah. guess. Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm with Colin. I think that's what it is. It's a three star film. There you go. Okay. All right. 
Um, okay. And then uh, one of my all-time favorite, especially Spielberg films, um, Empire of the Sun, which I, we skipped over Hope and Glory a little bit because I wanted to wait till we got to this because both movies are thematically similar. About They sure are. About uh, boys growing up during World War II. Hope and Glory is a comedy. Empire of the Sun is a biographical drama. Um, based They're on both uh, autobiographical. Autobiographical, right? but... Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. That's true. But yeah. I mean, J.G. Ballard, you know, he wrote his novel about uh, Which for is Empire of the Sun. Really good. Yeah, and um, I think they're both phenomenal movies. Uh, Hope and Glory is this wonderfully wonderful British comedy yeah. uh, from John Borman um, about you know growing up in this London suburb during World War II and just having the war occur in your own backyard. And how much fun that is for a kid. Like, it's not about, like, oh, the horrors of war. No, no, this is from a boy's perspective, and he's having a ball. Like, he's having a great time collecting shrapnel mm-hmm. and, you know, playing war games with his friends and uh, just sort of, you know, coming of age. And then the second half of the movie takes place in more of the idyllic countryside when they have to get out of their home, which is, you know, um, been wrecked. And uh, and the, but the but the humor is still there, like the the genuine, uh, you know, the family dynamic the, is really strong in that movie. Really it's, strong. Yeah, um, I love. I like all the backstory with the affair that his mom had, yep. and and yep. with the best friend and everything is really nicely done. Uh, the grandfather's hysterical uh, when he shoots that mouse from the dinner table is just so <laughs> funny. Um, and it's just uh, and the last line of the movie the last line of dialogue spoken in the movie is one of the funniest greatest lines of uh, mm-hmm. uh, final lines of any movie ever um, so this is just one of my very favorite films of the year and it was kind of one of those films that really again this came out in October and somehow it stayed in the art houses it never went beyond the mainstream and it stayed it had just kind of a quiet release in the art houses but somehow it sustained enough momentum to get a best picture nomination which i thought was really incredible oh i guess yeah it and was i probably would have skipped this movie if it hadn't been for that um and then it started to break out a little bit more and uh, i was able to go see yeah. it and and siskel and ebert both liked it if i recall. liked yeah. it yeah yeah, yeah. um so and then Empire of the Sun is uh, a special movie for me because I went to when when movies came to my local theater, the town and country. I was able to walk to this theater, and that's you know as I got older. And um, when a Spielberg movie came there, I made sure to go see it multiple times because this was a time when Spielberg would wait like two years to release his movies on video. Yeah, you know like. I was like, oh, I better go see this a bunch of times because I'm going to have to wait. And so uh, that wasn't the case with this one because it didn't do very well. But I did see it multiple times in the theater. And uh, just remember, this is the kind of the movie where I remember thinking, like, maybe I don't want to be an actor when I grow up. Maybe I want to be a director Mm -hmm. because I would love to direct something like this. This is pretty great. (laughs) So I was, like, all into, like, epics and stuff like that. Yeah, and great perspectives from young children as well yeah i mean christian bale's performance and this is one of the best one of the best actor performances period straight out of the gate kid performances ever yeah Yeah. without question to me you know this is where again we're in this period in spielberg's career where he was going away from the populist 
material. You yeah, know, this isn't just... very accessible. It's oh, a no, challenging. No, though. and it wasn't very critically acclaimed at the time either. It mm-hmm. was, you know, the color purple was very acclaimed and got all the Oscar nominations. Uh, didn't win anything uh, out of Africa. Um, right. But, but Empire of the Sun, to me, is the perfect bridge film of this period from the movies he was making to the movies he would eventually go on to be making later yeah. on because it st- starts off talking about I mean this, another movie about a kid who's growing up in a in an affluent setting you know there's a kid that is sheltered mm-hmm. in a way from a war although he does discover the war literally in his backyard uh, at one point and it starts off as like a, almost like a fantasy in a way. You oh, know, for sure. You know, this is a few years before Home Alone, obviously. But you know, there's the, the sequence where he's you know riding the bicycle through the house and trying to scrap every scrap of food. And it's this boy's coming to adulthood in the course of this period in his life, and that's exactly what Spielberg was basically doing. Yeah. And you could see they him, both discover sexuality too. True, right? As they're growing up, yeah. There. And you can see that this is Spielberg's preparing himself for something like Schindler's List. You see a lot of parallels between the, the the two movies, and this is a PG rated movie, even though it has violence and some blood. This is a PG rated wow. film. I'm surprised. And I thought it was PG thirteen. Yeah, so he wasn't quite there yet in confronting the really horrific violence of his movies. PG, correct? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and he, so he wasn't quite there yet to get to, even though he explored obviously many aspects of violence in other movies, just in a populist yeah. setting. Um, and it, this is, I mean, there, there are a lot of movies that are made about this time period, and even though can be thematically interesting, they're not, not all of them are as, we've, we've talked about the word alive many times, and Spielberg, for whatever you think of him as a filmmaker, or a, a tearjerker, or a manipulator, or whatever you want to call him, his movies are always alive. This camera is always moving. There's there's something in every shot. Uh, you know, the, the, the you know people all clearly remember the Cadillac of the Skies sequence. Mm-hmm. That entire how how rich that thing is. But there's a moment much earlier that uses the same Williams score. It's a it's a very underrated John Williams score yeah, too, by the way. For sure. And where he discovers the the plane and all the sparks are shooting off the plane and the the Japanese soldiers come up and salute him, which is an absolutely beautifully staged photographic moment mm-hmm. in this film and the movie is filled with stuff like this uh, it's an adventure story it's, it's it's a drama it's a coming of age story it's a war story uh, it's an it's, it's a beautiful movie it's a yeah. beautiful film when I was younger I saw Hope and Glory first and I liked that a lot more yeah. but <laughs> as I've gone on I think I liked them pretty much equally I wonder I, mean, I wonder if people have the same Colin clearly doesn't uh, because he's smart, but <laughs> clearly, I'm wondering if people have the same reaction. Because Empire of the Sun has grown. Oh, over for sure. Time yeah, with rewatches, I think yeah. there some people weren't prepared for what he was doing with that movie. Maybe I think so. I think um, so, especially at a younger age. I don't know if I uh, just absorbed right. it. As, right, exactly. You know, it's, it's hard. Yeah, to, I mean, I didn't see it. I didn't didn't get to see it in the theater as much as I wanted to because it sounded like Empire of the Sun. What a cool title for a movie. Um, that you had Empire of the Sun and you had Hope and Glory at the same time, mm-hmm. and then eleven years later you would have Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line, and it seemed like you had to be on one train yeah. or, the, or or really like one and like the other, or you you had like, to be. You can separate. like them both. I, yeah. Of course, you can <laughs> like them both. Yeah. I'm just posing the theory that sometimes 
you know, you can't have a Birdman and a Boyhood in the same year. God forbid we right. like both movies. Right. You know, oh, I, which I, I hate that mentality. You, yeah. you can like La La Land versus Moon, or not Moonstruck, <laughs> Moonlight. We're getting to that. Yeah. Getting, you're jumping ahead here. Um, and we get we're gonna let no, Colin I think, talk for that for an hour. But <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think today, if these two movies came out, you know, there'd be a Hope and Glory camp or an Empire of the Sun camp, and Hope yeah. and Glory would probably get the backlash because it's more of a crowd pleaser. It's more mm. of a comedy. It's more. Mm. It's lighter, and and all the all the like hipper guy people would like. <laughs> no man, Empire of the Sun is so much better. Uh-huh. You know, and, and you know. I think there's there's room for both. These are both uh-huh, great films, and Hope and Glory really needs to be re released on DVD that's properly. Yeah, uh, there's not been a good good enough release of it. Yeah. So we mentioned Moonstruck. So fine, I'll get on that. Um, <laughs> um, Moonstruck is uh, you know was one of the big Academy Award contenders, and this is another film that if it were released today, there'd be a backlash on it. Uh, almost instantly um, because it's a it's a it's it's a romantic comedy it is very i mean romantic i mean <laughs> with a capital r um this is written in, written by john patrick shanley who is uh you know one of these writer uh, you know uh, um, a, a, a playwright an award-winning playwright and this was his first film or his first script that was you know made into a film uh, it's not based on a play, but it kind of feels like it is sometimes. Um, and uh, he won the Academy Award for that, and which was meaningful to me, like that a romantic comedy could win an Academy Award for best screenplay. Because mm-hmm. at the time, I started writing screenplays at this time, and I liked writing romantic just a comedies comedy in general, romantic right. or not. It just, right? Yeah. And I, I guess I didn't know that Annie Hall probably, I think, won at the time yeah. also, but I just didn't know that at the time. So, like watching a romantic comedy that I really thought was funny getting an Academy Award seemed to like legitimize like the kind of writing that I wanted to mm-hmm. do. So that's why Moonstruck means a lot to me. Uh, but it's also just uh, a, a really so beautifully written film. And, and Shanley is a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, he is not afraid to be overly romantic in his writing. He is, does not shy away from that. And he does it in such a poetic way that uh, it's really, is, it's his own distinct voice. Um, and I think Cher is wonderful in the film. I think Nicolas Cage, it's one of my favorite Nicolas Cage performances. Oh, yeah. There are so many um, great monologues in this movie. Nicolas Cage's monologue to Cher when he's trying to get her to come to bed with him that night. You know, <laughs> the storybooks are bullshit. We are here to break our hearts. And I mean, it's, oh, love it so much. Um, over the years, I've I've softened a little bit of it, on, on my love for it, mm. because I, I kind of wish... I, I think it would have been a lot cooler to see somebody else besides Norman Jewison direct it, mm. who is himself, who Jewison is sentimental, sentimental enough on his own. <laughs> uh, I'd kind of like to see what another director would have done with Shanley's script. Not that he did a bad job, um, because he clearly got a great cast and there's not a bad scene in the entire film, but, um, when I watch it, I'm just kind of like, mm, I kind of went. Oh, what would it be like if somebody with a with a with a different sensibility had directed this film? Still great. I I still love it. I still um, I still defend the Academy's choice to giving it best screenplay. Even though I know the film we're about to talk about, There's I know so, uh, I know. But let's just say James L. Brooks was not. Robbed because he has a mantle of Academy Awards already he for won. Terms know, of Endearment. Okay. 
Just know. saying that. <laughs> but an adapted screenplay. Wait, Oscar. He won Best Director, didn't he? Or did he not? Yeah, he did. Yeah, okay, he did. so he's yeah. fine. Yeah. That was his first film. Yeah. He can't go. He can't keep that streak up for long. But broadcast news. Uh, Never heard of it. <laughs> one of I mean I mean that's our it's it's my number one of 1987. After all these years, it's been of course. I've There's had, nothing else. Is it all of our number ones <laughs> yeah. this year? There's all, yes. There's it hasn't else. always been my number one. Okay. It's oh. my, I've, like I said, I've changed my 1987 list so many times. I've had like okay. three or four different movies at number one okay. throughout the throughout the years. But broadcast yeah, I didn't know news. that we. I mean, I know how we all love it. I didn't know it was all. Our oh, number one it's stuff. my favorite screenplay of all time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like this in the apartment are my two favorite that's, screenplays. That's high, that's high praise right yeah. there. So. So moving on, we just um, yeah. we just got speechless there <laughs> right. for a moment. Um, when people ask me, my what are your ten favorite films? This comes up. This I don't even yeah. blink when I you know I might change a few of them now and again, but this one is always on there. Um, I, I, I this film is an absolute masterpiece, and it is one of the great romantic triangles of all time. It but and which is which funny enough is the thing that I responded to most when I saw it mm-hmm. in the theater for the first time when I was again twelve years old. Um that uh, just the, the the writing. It was one of those movies where the, the writing really spoke to me for the oh, first God, time. Yeah. And it wasn't until multiple viewings over time that I really started to grasp what he was doing with the media, how media savvy that this movie was, mm-hmm. you know, and people, you know, it's like network. I'm like, no, broadcast news. Okay, network 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 is a parody and an over the top satire. Okay. Yeah. Broadcast news is a film that's confronting the issue at a time that you want to talk a movie that's ahead of its time. Network oversaw the insanity mm-hmm. of what the television would become. Broadcast news was right in the center of what the news media was becoming at the time. And yeah. when we, we this movie is prevalent every single decade, and it and it, it comments upon every single evolution that the news has started to take uh, and, and it's a movie about the compromise of that. You have a character in Holly Hunter in the film who is so stringent in her ways that she's not going to compromise at all Yeah. but then William Hurt comes along the dumbest guy <laughs> that she's probably ever met and is a guy that is going to get a lot of his success through luck through being good looking, mm-hmm. through the changing chasm of news media going for shifting in entertainment. It is brought up during her speech where she talks about the historic influence of entertainment tonight, you know, and that kind of stuff, where that the entertainment became a news show with anchors and news stories and breaking news and all that kind of stuff. And here's a movie about a sportscaster who becomes the most powerful voice in America. Basically, you know, and I like that with the way James L. Brooks portrays William Hurt, he is not the villain. No, he is very self-aware of you know his intelligence and the luck that is about to be sprung upon him. Yes. Like that, their meeting together in a hotel room really is kind of amazing to not paint like William Hurt as like the enemy, but in a way she's trying to perceive she's perceiving him that way. So I think that's. I, I just like the way he writes every character in this movie feels the most human 
to where you get to experience them being assholes at times, being very selfish, but having a big heart at the center of every action that they have, I think. Yeah. More or less. We've reached a portion in this podcast where we've clearly recognized this is a movie that could be its own podcast. Oh, for sure. I think it should be. I've been trying to to do screenings of this movie for years and availability issues have have been been an issue. But you talk about the scene in the hotel room where... Holly Hunter just lambasts him. Yeah. And you kind of feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Heart. And he, kinda, course, yeah. he just kind of goes, whoa. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. feel bad. And, but and, but the his way line you spoke leaving to me the hotel then. room, where he's like, I hate the way you just spoke to me, yeah. but that doesn't mean you were wrong. He'll get a job where he influences a great God-fearing nation. He'll never do an evil thing. He'll never deliberately hurt a living thing. He'll just bit by little bit lower our standards where they're important just a tiny little bit just coax along flash over substance just a tiny little bit albert brooks in this movie you know sean connery won for untouchables albert brooks should have won for this movie Mm -hmm. his speech to holly hunter in the living room after he knows he has just been scorned basically is might be my favorite speech ever yeah. For for everything, because that that's the essence of the movie right there is mm-hmm. is the heartbreak of the movie. It is he's commenting on what he the the, the whole aspect of the media, uh, you know, the overview of the media is at that time, and then it also <laughs> it ends with a great line. You see, look at that, I buried the lead, yeah. which is a great <laughs> yeah. Conclusion. Everybody uses and then that now. and then it can, continues with the greatest fu in the history of movies where. <laughs> Which I admittedly I've done to people, um, where he she's just been rejected by William Hurt. So don't come over. Maybe not the best time. Doesn't come over, and then she's clearly about to lean on Albert Brooks to be her saving. She goes, "Well, Jane, thanks for stopping by." And I'm just like, "Yes, yeah. yes." It's, it's cruel, but it's it's perfect. You know, it is it is mm-hmm. the greatest fu in the history of movies. Um, Very true. Should we talk about the ending? Yeah, because that's the one thing I won't. I won't name names, but there is somebody who I'm good friends with that does not like the ending of this movie. Many people don't, mm-hmm. and there's a justification to that. And it, it's probably the weakest ending of any movie that I ever love. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, but, but I say, but I but I say that like this because he. Here's the thing: this movie also has an alternate ending, which is available on the Criterion. Blu-ray, okay. Hmm. Which, you sh- if you've never seen, you should look at because here's the funny thing about the alternate ending: it's both a better ending and a worse ending. Have you seen the ending, Colin? I the other I, one. I know I have, and I don't remember what okay. it was. I don't. It's, yeah. It. You have the scene at the airport where the confrontation, and they're not going to go on the trip together. Okay. And Holly Hunter's leaving in the cab. Which I always thought would be good fade out. That's the end. That's the perfect ending right there. Because yeah. I'll get to back to that. Um, but William Hurt tracks her down and gets in the cab with her. Right. The dialogue between the two of them is really strong. Hmm. Like his like why I'm getting into this cab and why I want I'd rather be with you than this uh, is real is real is pure great James L. Brooks and William Hurt is great in the scene, but. It's a bad ending because then it completely compromises the Holly Hunter character. It doesn't come off as cynical. It comes off like she gets the guy mm-hmm. at uh, the end of the movie. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Better written, 
torpedoes the kind of point of the movie. The sure. better ending is the would be the, her in the cab fading out because yeah. it's her alone with her principles, going to be alone for as long as she's on that path. She's going to be alone, but she still has the line. You know, she's like, "Go any way you want" to the cab driver. But then she goes, "But this place, this Dupont Circle, will be faster." Yeah, that's that's the ending of the movie. Exactly. You know, but, but just, but just say, turn it off. Just it, turn it off. Instead of after that seven happens. years later, <laughs> we can still be friends. William Hurt has it gone doesn't on bother me. and whatnot. He's it. It doesn't bother me. I don't. No. I'm not bothered by it. In fact, my my favorite part about that ending is the glow stick podium that William Hurt because <laughs> it's the future. It's, Apparently, it's 1994. <laughs> it's the future. He has a glow stick podium. Um, yeah, I, I'm not bothered by it because you know Brooks and Hunter, at least being friendly, is I'm yeah, fine it's sweet. with yeah, that. Yeah. But William Hurt also has it, it, it softens his compromisability. Is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, because he kind of goes, I, I said I, he was offered a bigger job, and he goes, there are more qualified anchors that would be. Because he turns it down, you know, so it shows that he does have scruples and that kind of stuff. So it's not a bad ending. I think people who give that ending much too hard a time, uh, but the film is, is a masterpiece. Anyone yeah, else? Agreed. 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 <laughs> I agree with everything yeah. you guys said. I'm not going to add much more to it. Let's talk we, about a few it. more titles here. Yeah. So <laughs> Eddie Murphy Raw um, came out the same day as these other two films Good we stuff. just talked about. Is it? Um, I remember it being good stuff. It's got moments. It's uh, but again, it's like there's a lot of misogyny going on here. Yeah. A lot of homo- like blatant homophobia that is like really hard to watch today. Some funny stuff though. I mean, that's the problem with Murphy is like he had so much talent and yet it was it was that talent that made him kind of almost blacklisted in Hollywood in a way. Um, well, he wasn't easy to work with, and he, well, his ego got out of control by the time Harlem Knights came around. Oh, Very yeah, much yeah. So. Talk about misogynistic. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, um, but I mean, there's, but the, you know, the sort of, you know, casually referring to gays as faggots as often as he does in this film doesn't really help him <laughs> <Okay>. today. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a funny story about this movie for me was uh, my friend Jim and I, we uh, sort of mastered the art of s- the sneaking into R-rated movies, particularly at this one, the Town and Country Theater, which I mentioned earlier. So for this film, we uh, took it a step further. We snuck in an entire pizza into the theater. Wow, <laughs> that's ambitious. I've never done that. I've so what we food, did, but not a pizza. So what we did was we went to the Kmart, which was in the same complex. Um, one of the other things we did, and we may have done this in the same day, I don't know, maybe not, but we, we would go to this Kmart, we would take a record off the shelf that we wanted, break open the seal, take the record out, put a scratch on it, go up to the counter and be like, um, yeah, I just uh, bought this record and it's got a scratch on it. Could I just grab another one? They're like, oh yeah, sure. We go grab a record out, out the door. Um, <laughs> sure you don't want me to cut that out? And um, <laughs> So we would get the, or, or we would buy a record and put it in a Kmart bag, a big size Kmart bag, go to Garibaldi's Pizza, order medium pizza or something like that and conceal it in the bag we had to hold the bag we couldn't hold the bag up upright so yeah. that the pizza would stay flat <laughs> so that was the un- that was a, of course that was here. a logistical problem yeah. so we yeah. had to hold it we had to like wait and just hold it 
you know, upside, you know, sideways, and so that the cheese would slide down. But we did buy a ticket to a PG thirteen movie. We did sneak into Eddie Murphy Raw, and we did eat a large pizza while we watched it. So I, I commend you for your efforts, though. I've never <laughs> thought to take in an entire pizza. No, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I'll try it again at the so, Barrington sometime. Yeah. Sure, why not? Um, <laughs> and then uh, Overboard, fun comedy. Yeah. Well, I like Overboard. Yeah, Overboard's yeah, good. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the Gary Marshall realm, I would. Yeah. I think that's in this top three or four. Actually. And you're probably yeah. right. Sure. Overboard's good. Overboard's yeah, Kirk, good. Kirk Russell mm-hmm. rules. Now, the movie that is worse than Ishtar that got a worse reception than Ishtar, but still it is never have seen a, it. Never want as, to. Almost as big a bomb, maybe not financially, but as but it's spoken in the same breath as bombs go from this year. Leonard Part Six with Bill Cosby. Uh, just, mm. I mean, you can, def- de- you know, Ishtar will always have its defenders. I'm one of them. Nobody, Nobody. defends Leonard Part Six Nobody. on any level. No, uh, there's no ironically liking it. There's just, it's awful. And this is when Bill Cosby was liked. Yes, loved, yes, yes. loved even, right, loved. Uh, at the top of the world. He had two shows, two successful shows at this time. Cos- Cosby Show, and I'm pretty sure Different World was on at this point, wasn't it? <sighs> it at least... Well, well, let me see. 87. Well, because Lisa Bonet, it was, it's close, but I think it might have been a little bit after, because Lisa Bonet fell out of favor with Cosby because of Angel Heart. Hmm. So uh, they, she kind of got written out of Cosby Show a bit. I think it might have been a little bit more mutual, but she kind of got written off of the Cosby Show, and okay. then... Uh, did get her own show in a different world, although she didn't last very. Whoops, didn't last very long on that show either. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So uh, just uh, just a big pile of crap uh, to, clo- <laughs> to close out the. Have you seen it? I have seen. It. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Ugh. Yeah. It's unwatchable. Um, they fight off villains with meat. Right. Yeah. Hot dogs and patties, and they burn the wow. people, and the, one guy eats a hot dog, and his head explodes. Bill Cosby riding around on an ostrich. I remember yep. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, having food thrown at him at a at a, just a regular scene where he's sitting at a dining room in his house. His ex wife. His wife. His ex wife is throwing food at him. Um, and that's how the movie ends too. Remember? I think. Yeah. They, no, they, they, I don't remember. But I mean, during the end yes. credits, it's like they're playful. Like he starts putting the food on himself and. Right. That's the end, end credits. Well. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, Woody Allen has a bad movie, uh, September, which is a, just a, a, his worst drama, probably. Mm. One of his worst. Uh, and then uh, the first time I remember a movie confusing me about its release date and what its qualified year was, Good Morning uh, Vietnam. Yeah. Because um, it came out in hmm. Chicago in January. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so that, that that was the first time I remember being confused by. Well, it's a January movie. Why is it up for Oscars? Why is everybody mm-hmm. saying it's one of the best films of the year? Yeah, um, it's good. Good Morning Vietnam is good. Yeah, I remember uh, liking it. Yeah. I like it more than you guys. I, I, I mean, that's fine. I don't think I don't think all of Williams' jokes land. I mean, a lot of them kind of. I mean, a lot of them don't. But I like the story i like the supporting characters in the mm-hmm. film and i think his performance when it's not when he's not just riffing yeah i think it's really solid i think it's really it is good. yeah it is um i mean again another vietnam movie from this year um, and barry levinson directed it. and barry levinson directed it, exactly yeah. um yeah i think it's actually one of his his stronger films levinson yeah uh, I, I i think that um 
the, the sort of the, the, the again, it's, it's all about him, basically. Yeah. I mean, people remember the shtick that he does on the radio. Uh, the Nixon tapes scene is still really, really, really funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but this, this arc that he goes through, that he begins to start to understand the people. Again, we talk about Full Metal Jacket, the sort of the, you know, America versus Vietnam represented characters. And here's a guy, you know, this American, this brash American, who goes there and starts winning the hearts and minds yeah. of characters. Well, even, three Vietnam movies in one Right. Year. And even, mm-hmm. you know, one character that turns out to be, you know, uh, Viet Cong or, you know, a, right. a bomber and, uh, and and trying to reconcile that. So, and also, you know, good, also a good movie about, you know, propaganda and about, you know, the hiding of the truth, you mm-hmm. know, so it's another good media film uh, hmm. as well. Uh, no, I've, I've always, I've always found this movie to be pretty great. Yeah. Um, Four Vietnam movies, actually. Four? Was, uh, Hamburger Hill, Good Morning Vietnam, Full Metal Jacket, Jacket, and Gardens of Stone. Oh, Gardens of Stone. That's right. The one I haven't seen. <laughs> it's because it's, we've been talking here for over four hours, and yeah. the sun is going down <laughs> Our now. brains are starting to melt. <laughs> yeah. But it was a good year. It's it was a, a good great year. year. I've yeah. been really looking forward to this uh, podcast because it's just, I knew it was going to be longer than any of the other shows that we've done because there's so much to talk about. Yeah. For sure. Uh, it's my. It's always been my favorite 80s year. Um, mm. The one thing about this time more period, More than 85? Though, yeah, more than 85. Yeah, okay. I think it's, um, I mean, 85 is great, but I think this is a, I think this is even better. Um the one thing about this time period, though, it's unfortunate, is that animation was kind of non-existent, except for your Disney reissues, and you know Disney was kind of floundering at this time. Yeah, that's um, that's an unfortunate peri- thing about the '80s period in general, is that animation is just kind of not. It's 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 it's, it's probably at its biggest slump. I was just briefly uh, scrolling through '88 for uh, when we talk in a year. I'm not seeing a whole lot. I'm not seeing things that really good summer. Yeah, really good summer. Yeah, really good summer. I think. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll definitely get there for sure. But um, just like a preliminary scroll, I was like, ooh. Um, mm. are you, what are you, are you doing by box office or by year? Uh, just by uh, by year. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. So, do we want to go through our lists there? Top twenty. Yes, let's do that 10. and wrap this up, boys. Okay. Uh, you can go first. Why okay. not? Okay. Top ten because I'm, I'm a little less confident in my top twenty. Um, I don't think okay. I, I I updated some of these. So okay, I can I can do ten and All just right. rattle off a few titles that maybe didn't yeah, yeah. come up with. Um, number ten is Empire of the Sun. Number nine is The Princess Bride. Number eight is Three O'clock High. Number seven is uh, Kishlovsky's Blind Chance. Number six is Hope and Glory. Number five is RoboCop. Number four is House of Games. Number three is Wings of Desire. Did that come out in 87? 88. Crap. Yeah. Okay, I'll fix it. You that. up, Johnny. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, why didn't that come up? I, I, and Letterboxd. <laughs> you, can't, you can't always trust Letterboxd yeah. uh, and IMDb because yeah. they tend to list movies that maybe played con one oh, year and yeah, didn't come okay. out in Chicago until a year later. That happens a and lot. And the title of the movie is City of Angels. Thank you very much. Oh, stop. Oh, <laughs> I, I kind of like City of Angels. Anyway, number two is Evil Dead 2. And number one, what else? What else is there? Broadcast news. We have a few matches here. 
for me. Hmm. Uh, number 10, Evil Dead 2. Number 9, Princess Bride. Number 8, Swimming to Cambodia. Hmm. Number 7, Full Metal Jacket. Number 6, Hope and Glory. Number 5, The Last Emperor. Number 4, Near Dark. Number 3, Raising Arizona. Number 2, Empire of the Sun. Number 1, Broadcast News. Okay, uh, number 10, Inner Space. Number 9, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Number 8, Moonstruck. Number 7, Good Morning Vietnam. Number 6, Empire of the Sun. Number 5, The Princess Bride. Number 4, Raising Arizona. Number 3, Robocop. Number 2, The Untouchables. And number 1, Broadcast News. Raising Arizona is in my list now. <laughs> because of uh, the Wings of Desire flub. Uh-huh. There we go. But I also watched one of the most batshit crazy movies I've ever seen that would be in my top 20 now because of how crazy it is. It's a movie called White of the Eye. And it stars David Keith and Kathy Moriarty. And it's basically about Kathy Moriarty discovering that uh, her husband may or may not be a serial killer. It is incredibly stylish. We, again, I think this director, I dug it, Douglas Camel, Camel, he clearly saw After Hours as well. Because oh. this, this is like a giallo film as done by Martin Scorsese After Hours era because the camera is always moving, doing really interesting things. It is a totally weird movie. I'm convinced everybody involved was on peyote because <laughs> I don't like there are so many weird choices in this. And we only get to see two kills, but they're very, very stylish and very memorable in a De Palma kind of fashion. Um, it, it's it's batshit. I can't recommend it enough. I hope people get to check it out. I think that Arrow may have put out a new release of it recently on Blu-ray, but I'm not sure. Arrow? Maybe. Oh, or, uh, I'm not, I'm maybe it's not, Arrow. not familiar with that coming out on Blu-ray okay. recently. Okay. Maybe, uh, yeah, I'll look into that further and let people know, but I just... I watched it last night, and it was I just couldn't take my eyes away. And it's not really like one of those so-bad-it's-good kind of experiences. It's genuinely a really interesting kind of a portrayal of psychosis that I was really engrossed with. And one of the weirdest edited movies, too. Just, like, cutting to weird things for no reason at certain moments that I thought were cool. Hmm. Yeah, I that was one of those movies that all, the only thing I remember about it is... Um, no, you're right. This this came out. Uh, I think it's Shout Factory. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Shout Factory put this out. Sweet. So there you I'm go. Gonna pick, I'm going to be picking that up because yeah. David Keith at one point November. he does the thing he does in Firestarter only because he's this. He does this. Uh, he, he does this to calculate where speakers should go in the room. Does no Because he's an, he's an audio he's an audio visual technician speaker guy. So he like holds his head up and he's like. He, I, the, I know where the speakers go in this room. In the, uh, I could feel it in my head. Uh, on the um, the Blu-ray cover, he looks like Doctor Steve Brule. Yeah, John C. Riley's. Uh, there's uh, yeah. Character. There's some wild hair. Yeah. There's a couple of flashbacks with him in a mullet. Okay. That are golden. And Kathy Morardi is great in this yeah. too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. This is a movie that you mentioned Viewers' Choice earlier. People don't know that what that was. It was basically the pay-per-view of its day, mm-hmm. and uh, there was. A period where on certain mornings you, if you got up early enough as I would before school you could see, see all the trailers that they would have for and clips of all the movies that were available that month Why Did the Eye was one of them at one point that's the only, the only reason I know about it hmm. so but I've never seen and it and I, I, I cannot confirm or deny at this moment if Kishlovsky's Blind Chance did come out in 87 
It says, okay, it first came out in 81. I didn't notice 81. it on the box office list. Yeah, that's what I was like. How did I get this one in the... Oh, okay. It was completed in 1981, but censored and withheld by Polish authorities until 1987. Hmm. It's like his version... It's a Polish version of Sliding Doors. Oh. Hmm. It's really good. That already sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys. All right. We did it. Yes. Thank Woo-hoo. you so much for Absolutely. this wonderful conversation on a very memorable year in film. And mm-hmm. we'll do it all again in February of next year for 2018 or for 1988. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So where can we find more of your work? As always, plug away, please. Uh, well, we're bo- Eric and I are on WGN Radio every week with Nick DiGilio. And so you can either stay up at 2 a.m. and listen to that on as it happens or download the podcast on WGN Radio. Um, also, you can read uh, I have a monthly column on RogerEbert.com uh, called Short Films in Focus. And uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. And my Twitter handle is at Colin underscore Suter. And, uh, yeah, or follow me on Facebook. Uh, yeah, and you can also find me on Twitter at Eric the Movie Man. That's Eric with a K. Apologize in advance for all the political tweets as of late. Um, but uh, So there's that. And uh, Kyle mentioned I'm on WGN with him and Nick every week reviewing the new movies. Uh, I have my own podcast on the Now Play Network. Uh, oh, really? I do. That's I cool. Do. I didn't know about uh, that. Yeah, some guy named Jim Lachowski uh, told me to do one. So I've been doing it for now. We're, we're year, I'm a year anniversary now doing the, oh, yeah. doing the podcast. You guys have both been guests on it, and I want you guys very soon to, to play the new game on the podcast All right. that I'm doing. And uh, so, yeah, so everything I can possibly do on the podcast I do when I've managed to have time to do it. And, uh, yeah, and then all the stuff at efilmcritic.com, uh, not just the podcast, but I, uh, all the WGN shows are linked there, and uh, my appearances on first Business First AM on WYCC television mm-hmm. every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. And a Blu-ray release calendar? Blu-ray release calendar, yeah. So all these, you know, we keep talking about all these Blu-rays that are being released. Firestarter is coming out recently. Uh, <laughs> just <laughs> oh, uh, stream of consciousness run, going here. Uh, yeah, go to eFoob Credit and you see the, the, the Blu ray release schedule that I update exhaustively uh, just for peace of mind. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, guys. This was a blast. All right. Thank you. uh, Yeah, you can follow me on Letterboxd, of course, at NowPlayingJim, which is the same as my Twitter handle. And, of course, visit NowPlayingNetwork.net for Eric's wonderful podcast, as as well as many, many others, including Pure Cinema, which I'm very excited about because two of my other favorite film critics slash bloggers, uh, Elric Kane of the Shockwaves podcast and Brian Sauer of Rupert Pupkin Speaks, have a wonderful new show based on one episode I can't say enough good things about it it's great they have great chemistry and there's a lot to look forward with them and uh, Patrick and I decide to have an hour conversation and turn it into a podcast each week called Popcorn Supper which is ridiculous and silly and goofy and mostly just us shooting the shit for uh, under an hour and not really having any direction or focus outside of talking about what movies we've watched recently. So it's turned out to be pretty good. You can check all that out at nowplayingnetwork.net. And uh, I am out. Bye, guys. Thank you much.